audio recording with Lucretia Hart, recorded Monday, November 15th, 2010. Now, Lucretia Hart is a pen name, and that's just the name for obvious privacy reasons that, that she uses on her blog. Actually, her two blogs. She has two separate blogs, and I stumbled on to the uh, first one a little over a year ago. Now, this blog was mostly made up of day-to-day stuff. She's a good writer, and it was entertaining to read her, you know, her little life dramas. But um, what what was interspersed among her writings were these extremely profound alien abduction stories and the associated high strangeness that comes along with that. Uh, this stuff I've, I found extremely captivating, and I was uh, instantly enthralled. But you had to dig through a little bit to find them. And uh, she has admitted such, but they were kind of hidden in there. You know, it was almost like, a, like um, she was a little shy, which is completely understandable, but they were there nonetheless. Just recently, within the last few weeks, she has started a new blog called At Spiral's End, and that will be linked on the show notes. And this is a collection of all her paranormal and her uh, abduction-related stories. Uh, I cannot recommend this site highly enough. She shares some haunting experiences. Uh, it's far too much for me to go into in this in this little intro. I will say that during this interview, she shares a lot of stories that are not on the blog, and some of the stories I have not heard uh, during our private phone calls. Let me also add to the mix that Lucretia and I have shared some strange, I don't know what you would call them, uh, psychic hits, uh, overlapping paranormal weirdness. Uh, and this has happened often enough that, I, that I'm just left incapable of not trusting her implicitly. Uh, that said, this is a long interview. Uh, it's something I'm very proud of. And... You, the listener, get to hear a remarkable set of of, uh, life experiences by someone who I'm quite honored to know. Please enjoy. Hey, Lucretia, I just want to say thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. You're very welcome. And and here, I just have a few questions written down on the page here, and you and I have talked a few times before, as well as uh, emailed a bunch. Yes, um, exactly. And one of the things that you said, and I just I just was searching through, you said in both in, in 1986, you said both you and your husband knew that you had uh, experiences. Yes. And and just how did you know? What 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 was what was that coming okay. to that point and of that's, knowing? Yes, <laughs> that's one of the um, I I've been trying when my um, on my the website that I've been posting about these various memories and things that have happened to me. I haven't got around to telling that story yet. It's maybe the biggest one, or I would have to say probably the biggest one. Um, the one that was the undeniable moment where I couldn't, I couldn't say, oh, it's dreams, it's, you know, maybe it's spirits, maybe it's this or that. I, I saw what it was, and I was wide awake, and um, my husband had a similar occurrence. And for whatever reason, for both of us, it both happened uh, the summer of 1986. And you hadn't met your husband yet. Um, I don't, well... <laughs> okay, that's, I have that as another question, but you hadn't officially met him yet. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, he lived in Ohio, I was in Oregon, and, um, and we just separately, as teenagers, we were, at that time, both of us were very alone, we didn't talk to anybody, we weren't reading any books, we, 
and later, later, like around 1988 or so, um, I know Bud Hopkins and um, John Mack, there were a lot of interviews in Whitley Street where a lot more stuff was coming out, and more stuff started coming out after uh, 86, but we didn't really see a lot of that until a little bit later. Um, so at that time, we really kind of didn't know what was going on. Um, but what happened with me, uh, I had a very strange summer. Um, a lot of things were going on that just, so many different things. That's one of the reasons why I haven't really started writing about it yet is because it was a series of events. And um, But somewhere in the middle of that series was a particular event that happened where I knew, I finally at long last realized what it was. And um, what happened was I was experiencing very bad insomnia. At 16, I led, my parents would make fun of me and said I was leading the life of a, of a vampire because I was so, and it's something I couldn't really get into, into with my parents because it was embarrassing, but also, you know, I knew they wouldn't listen. I was terrified to sleep at night. I could sleep during the day, but I just was so scared that something would happen to me at night. And the thing is, things did keep happening to me at night, but I would wake up, it would be like a dream, or I'd wake up and something was happening and couldn't tell quite what, but I just knew something was going on. I just subconsciously and just little bits and pieces consciously, I knew that something was not right. And I didn't know if it was because I was crazy, because maybe that was it. I thought, but gosh, these are the worst hallucinations ever. I didn't know what they were. I didn't know what it was all about, and uh, one night um, I was reading Clan of the Cave Bear, actually, um, sitting, I had the, all the lights on, I was sitting up in my room, um, just because I couldn't sleep, because we had another, <clears throat> another night of passing time until dawn, when I felt I could go to sleep, when I caught movement on the side of my eye, and, and to kind of clarify, I have this, I had a four-poster bed that was made to, you could put curtains all the way around it, my parents got it for me when I was eight because I was so, I didn't like to sleep out in the open. And even as a young child, I would sleep under my bed sometimes, or I would keep bugging my parents and sleep in bed with them or under their bed. And, it, and they finally got me this bed that had like a, I could do the wraparound poster, posters thing so that I could, um, so that I would, I would be able to feel more enclosed, more safe. Because I had, I've had problems with sleeping um, when I was a child, even. I, I used to nap freely when I was very, very young, and I would have problems going to sleep out of fear um, when I was, you know, all throughout my childhood. It was just a part of who I was. <clears throat> well, um, so I had the curtains up at the bottom of the of this bed, co covering the foot of the bed, and it blocked my view of the doorway. But I had the door closed. But I had the side open, so I had the curtains all pulled off on the side. And when I what I saw was almost like that scene in communion where you see that half of a face of a gray alien like peering around a corner or wall or something it was like that but it was peering around my bed and it looked right at me so just a few <clears throat> feet away yes yeah um he wasn't like right next to the bed he was maybe a foot and a half behind it but he was very carefully and slowly peering around the the side um and when i when I looked up and I saw it because I didn't have to move, all I had to do was shift my eyes. I looked up and here's this, all I could see was the head part, just half the head even, but it was a bald, very light gray um, type of alien with, but it had, it had black pupils and white eyes. It looked like, it was very similar looking to the aliens that are um, Betty Anderson's books. Um, I'm trying to think of um, the Anderson Affair. Mm -hmm. um, and the Watchers, Raymond yeah. Fowler did. Yeah, Raymond Fowler did a bunch of books with her. It looks similar to um, some of the escort ones that you've seen on hers. Not as clubby looking with the hands and arms and such, but as far as the head, it was similar. 
and it was kind of peering around looking at me. And I looked up, and I was wide awake. Like I said, I was reading a book. Everything is normal. Other than the fact, it was kind of quiet. I had my window opened outside because <clears throat> of the summer and trying to keep cool. In Oregon, we don't have a lot of air conditioning. We usually cool off at night, so people open their windows to cool off. And I just looked at the... I looked at this thing, and it's hard to dis- describe in words precisely what that moment is like when you look into the, in this case, eye, instead of eyes, but the eye of another intelligent being, and it's not supposed to be there, but it is, and literally my mind just started racing. I mean, my adrenaline must have gone from zero to 60 in one second. It was a zam, and even talking about it, you can tell my voice gets a little bit weird, I'm sure, because <clears throat> just even thinking back on it, it was such an amazing and scary moment, and um, this being was, uh, it wasn't just looking in the eyes and seeing something that's not there, it was more than that, because mm-hmm. the instant you make eye contact, there's a connection, and at that time I wasn't sure what was going on, but there's this moment where your eyes meet their eyes, and especially, and if you're wide awake, it's really crazy to deal with, but you you feel them in your head. Um, and you feel them feeling you, feeling them in your head. <laughs> it's like this weird echoing effect that's kind of nuts. And um, and that was the extra something special that put the moment of terror over the top. Um, it's horror to begin with when you see, you know, that existential thing. You see something doesn't belong there. But it's beyond that. <laughs> it ratchets it up to, like, that instinct, instinctive survival thing when you realize there's even more going on than that. And because I knew... That scare that we might have looked at each other for all of two seconds. It wasn't very long. But even that tiny piece of time, um, I knew I knew him. I knew I knew this guy. I'd seen him before. I'm like, oh. And then I realized, that's it. That's what's going on. And I had the word, I, it just came from me, not from him. But I had the word alien just jumped in my head. I'm like, alien. It's an alien. Oh, my God. It's an alien. And I just, I couldn't believe it. And then, boom, he was gone. He lo- And he moved so fast. They have this ability to move almost like a almost like a streak like a cartoon character <laughs> just crazy fast and um and my uh hang on here i'm letting my cat in <clears throat> kitty my kitty one of my cats it's windy outside and i have a cat that freaks out in the wind <laughs> um anyway um so i literally had, i threw back the covers my book just fell to the ground i leaped out of bed and I stood up in the middle of my room, and I realized, looking, that this thing, the door never opened or shut. I had kind of a creaky door, and it stuck a little bit. Nobody had opened my door, whatever this thing was, which is completely solid and physical. I mean, I was looking at it. There's no denying it was an actual physical thing, this little half of a head. that obviously belonged to a short person. But it had got, somehow gone through the door without actually opening it. And something kind of clicked in my head, like there was something about that that I knew or had seen before, or I don't know. There was something that I just knew, oh, my gosh, you know, doors can't stop them. Walls can't stop them. And and I had that moment of just overwhelming horror that I was absolutely alone, and there's this thing, and it came into my room, and I couldn't, I had no defense against it. And I started screaming. <clears throat> this is the middle of the summer. I was in a crowded suburbs, uh, mostly, you know, one- to two-story houses. Um, also, it was... Our house is along a fairly frequented uh, road. Um, it wasn't like a cul-de-sac or anything. It was a main thoroughfare. And I started screaming bloody murder, top of my lungs, just screaming, because I wanted to wake up my parents. I wanted to get the police. I just, I didn't know what I would say, but I didn't even care. I just wanted somebody, some other alive, awake person, be, you know, human, 
to come help me, to come be with me, because I was just going crazy. And I, I screamed for over an hour, um, maybe up to two hours. I kept looking at the clock because I was nervous about time. I was nervous about something more happening. And uh, nobody woke up. And even though I screamed, I was too scared to open the door to go anywhere. But my window was open, and I was in a house that, you know, it was just a three-bedroom regular ranch kind of a house and my sister didn't wake up my parents didn't wake up no neighbors called I don't even recall seeing a car drive by it was just the strangest thing but I was awake I was standing on my floor and very obviously just sweating and screaming and there was no response <laughs> and that scared me that scared me as well because you know you can't even yell for help um, that was you know what else is going on there and um, Finally, I just, I stopped yelling mainly because I, I don't know, after a while, you, your fear can only take you so far, and then it just, when nothing happens, you just kind of, you're in shock, and I stood there for a while longer, and then waited, and finally sat down in my bed until dawn came, but as it was, I think I stayed up almost two full days straight, because I was scared to even, um, I was scared to even, I couldn't even sleep during the day for a little while after that, I was, because I thought, you know, what, wait a minute, you know, maybe they could get to people even when they're awake, I mean, your mind goes crazy. Sure. And so, but yeah, that was the, that was the moment <laughs> where I knew what was going on. And I knew it wasn't spirits or angels or demons or dreams or even craziness. Um, even though part of me thought, wow, that'd be great. You know, if I were crazy, you can take a pill for that, you know. Or you can, yeah, you can disbelieve your, it'll be a reassurance. If it's not real, if it's all in my mind, then I could just, I could relax, you know, oh, there's one of my hallucinations again, <sighs> whatever. You know, I wouldn't have to worry about it because nothing real is happening. But at that time, a lot of very real things were happening that were absolutely undeniable. I mean, that's the summer that, um, I won't go into it in detail now, but um, at the end of that summer, I had, I was a virgin, didn't even have a, a boyfriend other than like a, a friend that I sometimes talked to the phone and hung out with a little bit sometimes. But um, I... I wasn't sexually active at all. I'm not even a first kiss or anything. And I had a four and a half months, I would say it was about four and a half months long um, pregnancy that ended in a miscarriage. And, and did, that you share that, physical... did you share that information uh, yes. with your parents? And... Oh, God, no. Okay. I, just <laughs> I was want... too flipped out. I, yeah, understandably, yeah. And it happened, it happened in the middle of the night, and I, um, I just went to the bathroom, and it all happened there. And again, I was yelling and nobody was waking up but I was scared all I was I wanted help but at the same time I wasn't even sure what was happening I thought wow really bad period what the heck is this I wasn't even sure and then when the fetus came out and I'm like what the heck is that and I turn and look in the toilet and there's this thing floating just oh god <laughs> again that was I actually I actually um I actually lost it for I actually made myself shove that so far, and this was my own self that did this, I shoved this so far to the back of my own mind that I pretty much forgot about it for several years. I, I didn't even want to think about it, and um, it wasn't until I was older, and I got, it was easier for me to deal with more things that had happened that I really, you know, I let myself remember it again, but that was something of, along the lines of I just didn't want to think about it. And, uh, in fact, afterwards, I cleaned up after everything. I made sure that every bit of mess cleaned up. I, I didn't want anybody to know. And uh, and nobody did know. I mean, my parents, they, they never found out. Nobody ever saw anything. And and again, it was, but it was odd because that entire experience ended with somebody coming to the door and opening it, and I knew it wasn't my parents. And so something else happened, and that 
during that period of time that I'm that's unaccounted for. But it started in my own home, in my own uh, bathroom. So. Oh God, that's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that summer I was, I was in a very bad emotional place that summer. That was a very very bad time for me. Um, and my husband had, you know, some. Of course, he's male, but he had similar things going on. Um, not to go into great detail because that's his story to tell, but. He was having so many experiences. He lived in this little valley in rural Ohio, and he had friends that lived on a hill above him. And they, his friends would get together and sit up on roofs and watch the UFOs go down to his valley and then, and then go back up and streak off into the sky. And they were watching him get kidnapped, and they never said a word to him until years later. And uh, he had some, which made him pretty angry because at the time he's like, nobody will believe me, I can't tell anybody, and turned out his own friends were you know, almost having little UFO viewing parties over his house. And they knew it was, you know, they knew it had to do with him because he was having his own I'm going crazy kind of a time. But he actually did tell a couple of friends back then. And um, and they would just be like, huh. So they wouldn't say anything. So that was so, in yeah, Ohio. Told, that was in Ohio, yeah. And was it near the West Virginia border? Yeah, not too far from it. Um, southeastern Ohio. It's the hilly area of the Appalachian Mountains, the foothills, yeah. Sure, that... that spot on the map has I a rich history of, yeah, of you know, that's where, where the Mothman Prophecies uh, book is centered around. Yeah, and, and having, I've lived in that area twice now for a few periods, each period, um, a few years in the 90s and a few years uh, here in the 2000s, and yeah, it's a lot of weird things happen there. It just seems like almost no matter where you go in that area, you're likely to have, at least this, uh, apparently if you're kissed by high strangeness, as my husband and I are, um, you're more likely to have strange encounters, apparently, but at least two or three things a year that seem to have nothing to do with alien abductions or anything of that sort, just weirdness that popped out of nowhere. Um, we seem to have at least two or three things a year, even on a slow year. So, yeah, it's an interesting region of the country, that's for sure. Yeah, uh, just it's interesting. And, and uh, uh, you know, that comes up often, that, that little corner uh, of Ohio. Oh, yeah. Hey, oh, and just just so you know, when I when I originally asked about 1986, I didn't expect that story to emerge because I just um, <laughs> I uh, I had just looked at your website and had been reading through a little bit this morning, and you you referenced that was the year that both you and your husband sort of came to the point of knowing. Yeah, and for him, they, he actually had several of them as a group come after him, and he was 16 years old in his bedroom, and he was having the same thing I was. He couldn't sleep at night. He was a bad insomniac. He knew something was happening. He didn't know what. And um, they came at him while he was while he was wide awake. He saw several of them actually face through solid door, um, come into his bedroom, come after him. And he he was so scared. He was trying to hide under a dresser that he was way too big to hide under. But he was just again because these things are coming after you. What do you do? You don't. You just your instincts take over. You don't even know what you're doing anymore. Um, but yeah, he and then when he woke up the next morning, um, he not only had full memory of them coming after him, although he lost his memory shortly after they came into the bedroom. But the, there was actual um, a scorch mark um, in the driveway where this small vehicle landed, and uh, he noticed it, and he had scoop marks, too. And even his, his parents were like, what the heck is that? Because there was not only like a round area where this thing had landed, but like a little streak that went behind it, almost like, um, and the earth, actually, that area of the earth where this happened, where this, um, earth, I say earth because it's like gravel and dirt, um, was... Uh, they call um, hydrophobic. It, the snow would melt on it. It had, um, it wouldn't, you know, rain would touch it. It would dry out instantly. It was like so dry that um, it almost repelled water. And um, this so for over a year, and then it got a ring of mushrooms around the outside of it, 
which is kind of weird. Wow, that is kind of weird. Where's Terrence McKenna when we, you know, when we need him to ask him about <laughs> that? Yeah. And he uh, he took pictures of it at the time, and he did he did send several pictures to Bud, um, copies of pictures of Bud, and I don't even know if he has any here with him now, but yeah, he did actually, you know, get get evidence of his scoop marks and all that stuff. He was way more on the ball than I was <laughs> at the time. But, um, but, yeah, and that was so that was his big moment. So, yeah, we, we had our – but it was kind of interesting. Is that the same, the same year that all happened? But it may be because we were about the same age. I'm not sure. Yeah, 1986, I just – I looked up that um, Communion hadn't been published yet, the Whitley Strieber book. Okay. But Missing yeah. Time had been published in 1981. And, um, yeah, and I read, when I finally did read Missing Time, it wasn't until after um, Intruders came out. I, for whatever reason, I hadn't come across it until, um, until gosh, it must have been 80, must have been 87, because right after I knew, after I had seen this thing in my room, I started looking around. I started poking, I started trying to find research. Um, after, not quite right afterwards, it was a few months, because, of course, I was going through a lot of trauma and shock at that time, but... A few months later, I was just ravenous for information, and so yeah, I started finding. Um, I think the very first book I found that um, that looked, you know, that I actually I read and was like, yeah, yeah, and actually, it wasn't like this is it, gay. It was more like, oh no, um, because it wasn't just me. This was happening to um, was Intruders by Bud Hopkins. Yeah, yeah. And, and I know at the end of that book, when I read it, it had there was a little blurb at the back that said, at least back then, and it said, if you've had similar experiences, please write to this. And you, and you want to explore them more, you will have um, further questions or whatever, it had um, an address. And I had a lot to say, and I wrote a long, I don't know, it was 16 to 20 pages, something like that, um, handwritten, very tiny handwriting. Um, I put in a big um, envelope, an oversized envelope, and I sent off to Bud Hopkins. And um, he was so inundated with mail that even back then, when it was still fairly new, he didn't manage to get back to me until February of 1990. Um, so then I sent it off, I believe, in September of 88 was when I sent him um, I sent him a letter that basically said all the different things that had happened to me, what I'd seen, and and basically desperate for help because I didn't know what to do with it all. So <clears throat> I've actually met with Bud Hopkins, and I was working on a documentary some time ago. The documentary is all stalled out and on hold right now. But, um, you know, I, I basically saw the laundry basket where he keeps his mail and uh he keeps it in these manila envelopes and one of them is marked you know like um sightings in the sky abductions uh false pregnancies and he just he just slots the letters in and i had the you know the video camera was on and i should actually put some of this footage on the blog but um in and i sort of asked like whoa man is this like from last year uh yeah. And he said, oh, no, last this is month? from last month. Yeah. So, and it was a big, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like I mean, a big, you know, like you to lift it up, you kind of had to go, oh, you know, it was full of paper. Yeah. He literally had to get people that help him just even um, open them up, read them, and all that. Mine, I was lucky as far as mine is concerned because mine was early enough that, you know, it was one he actually got to personally. And he actually, apparently the same night he opened my letter, and, and of course, in fact, it was so big, might have been, you know, might have put it ahead a bit, but. Um, he actually opened up and called me the very night that um, he opened it. So he actually didn't even open to read my letter until February of 1990. And when I got that phone call, of course, because I thought, well, you know, there's nothing to it or he's too busy or, you know. Um, and you were still, you were still living with your parents at that point? or? Oh, yeah. I was, I was going to college and I was living with my parents. Um, yeah, exactly. 
And I was so desperate at that time. He asked me, well, Bud actually asked me that night. He said, do you, do your parents know about this? Do you talk to them about it? Because usually Chris runs in families, all that. And I'm like, uh-uh, no way. I wasn't, um, I wasn't close to even one of my parents. And, um, but it, yeah, it just, I didn't have, I didn't tell anybody. At that time I hadn't told a single soul. I mean, even my best friends, though I might've told her like a weird detail about one night here or there. I never told her outright, I have seen an alien. Um, in fact, I learned later, um, the only person I had told way back when, when I was 10, 11, something like that, I told my cousin Lisa that who had come with me, um, she was around during one particular incident, and I apparently said something to her as a child that I later completely forgot. And when I finally did tell, talk to her about it again in my early 20s, um, she mentioned, she says, yeah, I believe you. You drew a picture, and you told me about this weird thing that happened one night. I'm like, what? I didn't even remember that. Wow. <clears throat> but... Uh, yeah. Um, but other than that, I really, apparently, I hadn't told anybody. And um, and Bud was concerned because, you know, I guess he realized, you know, I, not only, because some more things had happened in the two years since I'd written the letter, or more like a year and a half. But um, but anyway, he um, he put me in contact with somebody as a buddy to talk to because I was having panic attacks. I was having things happen, you know, and even occasionally during the day. Um, and I was basically quite desperate, and he put me in, um, in contact with a woman named Linda, who I later learned she's, um, she's the subject of the book uh, Witness. Linda Cortillo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and she uh, called me later that night, and then she and I were basically phone buddies for a while, and we also sent letters back and forth back in the days that are pre-internet. Really, like leaking the envelope and, and the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I have faint memories of that uh, of that chapter of history. Yeah, <laughs> way back in ancient history, and um, um, somebody that she and of course she actually had a friend that she'd met through one of Bud's support groups in New York, and um, and that was my husband. And um, and of course my husband actually been talking to Bud Hopkins for a while at that point. He actually I think he went to see Bud for the first time when he was 18. So he really he really pursued you know he wanted to know more and he. Plus, he, he lives closer. It's a little bit easier from Ohio to New York or Massachusetts than it is from here. And um, and he had some questions, and she says, you know, I know somebody who has something similar going on, and, you know, talk to this lady, and she gave him my, my phone number after getting permission from me. And one night, the guy who's now my husband called up, and we started talking, and we would have eight-hour-long conversations, and... <laughs> And wrote long letters to each other and wrote back and forth for a year before we actually met in person. But um, and he first sent me a photograph. I recognized him from an incident that had happened when I was 14, 15. Um, I think I must have been 15. Um, where some, some strange guy came up to my house in the middle of the summer when... Um, my cousin and my sister had, were, were taking, my cousin used to come over a lot, and um, our parents were all working, it was the middle of summer, and my cousin and sister had gone, they were napping or something, and some guy comes up to my door and introduces himself as my brother. And I didn't take that necessarily to mean he was my, my blood brother, but like, um, like a brother in arms or um, like a comrade of sorts or something like that. He was, and also at that time he was... Um, he was, uh, in real life, my husband was, way back then, he was a Pentecostal. And at church, everybody called each other brother and sister. And so he says, I'm your brother. I think he meant spiritual brother. <laughs> but, um, there's, but there's this guy with curly hair and kind of long and lanky. And, um, and I looked at the first time I looked at this photograph, I'm like, that's that kid that came to the door and said all those weird things. And, 
And then there was more to it than that, but that's the only part that I ever remembered. And then after that, I don't know what happened. He remembered more. Um, apparently, apparently, I went off for a daytime visit, and we ended up actually in a, back in Ohio for part of the day for maybe an hour or something. And he and I were hanging out at his house in Ohio, but this was years before we met, you know, obviously through through Linda and Bud and all that. So some strange things in there that you just, what, where, what? <laughs> now, did anyone else see sense. him when he came to your house? You said your sister and cousin were there? They were there, but they were they were all taking a nap. It was like a hot day, and it was windy, and they just go, I don't know. And again, one of the situations where it seems like if there's something weird going on like that, people fall asleep. And, yes. And I kind <laughs> of, <laughs> if everybody's out of, mysteriously out of commission, they're either, you know, they're not awake and, um, I mean, I've had situations, my husband's had similar situations where something's happening, and I don't know if you're familiar with this, but if you've ever had friends or anybody they ever hear about your experiences, and they're like, hey, if anything happens, you know, let me know, and I really want to see something, and you're like, uh-huh, right. Because if they're around and something happens, suddenly they're overwhelmingly sleepy, and, not, and nothing, you can't, I mean, you can be standing with them in the middle of a, of a floor, and and be yelling and like playing loud music and and they'll still just kind of crumple to the ground and and be out of commission they're just you know that's witnesses are one way or another they're <laughs> they're out of there it seems like so not always but usually and uh, so no they I, I mean if they were taking a long nap and if we did this i don't know i'm going to assume a ufo ride of some sort i don't know but if there was some weird thing where I was zipping across the country and back again, then apparently by the time they woke up their nap, I thought I'd take a nap too. I don't know. Because I just had that one piece of memory that is conscious, and I don't, I've always had it, and I didn't, never made any sense. It didn't fit in with anything else. And I do you remember going came, out on the sidewalk with him or coming back in the door after meeting him um, or any of those details? I remember somebody knocking on the door, and I went up to answer it, and there's this kid, and he said something about being my brother, and I'm like, I remember thinking, oh, that's so cool, but for some weird reason I knew what he meant, even though, he, you know, I don't know. And I was just really happy to see him. I'm like, oh, it's so great to see you. I was in a really great mood. And I don't even remember if, I don't think he came in, but um, I don't remember going out. I don't remember him coming in. I just remember standing in the doorway and smiling at him like, hey, <laughs> this is really friendly mood. That's it. That's where the memory ends for me. And, and did um, you then exchange photographs with him? And did he see your photograph and have the same realization? Um, he wasn't as, see, with me, it's kind of, it's, I have very long hair, and I've had very long hair for a very long time, and, um, but at that time, um, I actually, my hair was shorter, so one time, I think since the age of, God, I don't know, 11 or something, that I actually cut my hair to shoulder length, and I had bangs and everything, and, and I, I don't know, he, if he recognized me, maybe that threw him off or something, but, um, he just, it wasn't until a little bit later, it wasn't when, because he saw my photograph and he, see, I told you when my animals was going to knock oh, it over. Oh, kitty. <laughs> I was one cat, she's very young still and she's just twitchy. <laughs> I, I have a brand new kitten and and, uh, and she's not quite at the spot where she can knock things over yet, but uh, I, that day will come. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. No, when my husband, uh, when he was, he first saw the photograph, he did not recognize me right away. He felt, I mean, there might have been a familiarity there, but I, he hasn't talked about it extensively as far as, the, you know, just seeing my photograph. He just liked me a lot. He thought, oh, she's cute. Um, it wasn't until later, after I started talking to him um, a little bit more, that he said, by the way, you know, I remember this one weird time when, 
and I don't, I don't even know, I don't know how long he had the memory. Um, he may have had it since he saw, I just don't know the detail of that part, but he remembered, um, and he didn't remember coming to my door or anything like that. He just remembered that there was this girl that was coming to visit him when he was 14, so I would have had to have been 15. And um, it was the middle of the afternoon, his parents were working, none of his brothers was around. Um, he, they lived in this weird little valley kind of tucked into the woods, which is, you know, like I said, where his friends would watch things happen from a distance through the trees and see these things coming up and down. Um, he just remembered that I was, uh, I was there and said it was definitely you. And we were hanging out in his backyard and walking around the area and all of this. And, and he just said, I don't know, we seem to just be talking and hanging out. And um, it wasn't until later after, because he no longer lived there by the time I actually went to Ohio. But um, later after I moved there, we drove by the place. And the new owners let us come in and walk around this place where he used to live. And it seemed really familiar. And I said, isn't there a creek over here? And wasn't there, like, a treehouse over here? And I was pointing things out because I knew I'd been there before. And I, I don't remember if he told me. I don't remember what came first. I don't remember if, if my memory is saying, hey, I've been here before, if that came first. And then he said, oh, yeah, by the way, you were here once. Or if he told me, and then later on when I was there, I'm like, yeah, I remember this and this, and I actually knew some stuff that I should not have known. Um, I don't remember which came first. <laughs> I just, I, It just sort of happened as it happened and I don't recall precisely on that but yeah it was it was an odd it was an odd thing that's for sure wow this is fascinating this is fascinating and I will also add that these are two stories that have not been shared on your blog yet no <laughs> which I was just I didn't expect I thought we'd be covering ground that already got covered on the on the blog but there we go hey it's all good <laughs> good good here's something here, like this is something that um I feel a little bit uh, like I sense internally in my own gut and okay. and just this feeling that there's some sort of role to play or some sort of some sort of duty do you have that feeling ever oh yes the uh the feeling of mission <laughs> very much um i don't think i've ever i mean maybe they exist but i don't think i've ever met another abductee in my life that didn't have some weird idea that they have a job to do later in the future um or something and they I, don't know I quite don't... what it is yeah, exactly. <laughs> Usually. I mean, sometimes people remember, like, they've been given a training session maybe or something, and little bits and pieces might leak out, but overall you're like, eh, I don't know. Um, yeah, I very much so. Um, and a couple of, again, there's just uh, so many things to even think about or cover on that, but um, very much. Um, in fact, ever since I was a kid, and I remember, it's weird to me because when I was, later childhood, like uh, seven, eight, nine years old, I used to think about, and this is what I kind of, I wonder at myself sometimes, I used to think about aliens, and I would think, and I would have little discussions with myself about how I was talking to these aliens or these people, and they were telling me these things about the future, and I wouldn't tell anybody because I knew it was yeah. supposed to be secret. I, I was, I, I had this weird, I don't know if it was like a, day, like a daydreaming fantasy or something, but I would have this knowledge, and the only thing I remembered consciously bits and pieces of when I was a child was talking to a woman called that I call Diana which now I know is a hybrid but back then I didn't even know that I in fact at the same time I thought of Diana as being this woman who is my friend that I talked to about things including the future um, I was having I started having these really bad nightmares I was going up to uh, to the back of people and they would turn really fast and look at me 
and their eyes would be wrong. They would have big eyes that were, you know, tilted, slanted, and they'd be, you know, they'd look right through. I call them evil eye dreams. And I think, you know, there's, I think I was seeing some hybrids or something at that time, and that might look mostly human, but there'd be a part of them that would definitely not be right looking. And especially with eyes, I mean, that's a big one. You look a person in the eye, and they don't, and their eyes don't look right. You, that's kind of freaky right there. Um, so maybe that's all related that I was having these conversations, and you know, but because I remember bits and pieces, um, I didn't take myself seriously later when I got older. I just sort of dismissed that as, oh, that's you know, that was a nice little thing. But and then of course, even later when I um, started having experiences where I saw Diana awake. Um, or came to or remembered bits of things that happened even in an altered mind state, um, I realized, oh, Diana was real. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? So I, I do kind of wonder about that. I, I kind of have the feeling that, I don't know, I think everybody wonders, um, you know, is it true? Do we really have a job? Is this, you know, it, everybody seems to be told that some big change is going to happen. And when it does, you know, oh, well, there's going to be something for us to do. But, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of maddening actually because like any kind of prediction or or whether it's you know a dread or a hope um anything about the future you just don't know what to think and it's not it's not necessarily going to be um i don't know it just i think it's just the word frustration <laughs> it just comes to mind it's just extremely frustrating yeah and there's a rich tradition in in this ufo lore where people will make overt predictions and they won't come true um, yeah yeah <laughs> that's happened over and over and over again and and uh, it's kind of funny when, um, not funny, haha, but odd that, um, and maybe mildly amusing, so many people when they're new, uh, when they have their awakening, as I call it, when they realize, you know, they're an abductee or they're an experiencer, they've, they've had alien encounters of some sort, and they start looking into it, and they start, um, you know, talking to other people and learning more. The very first one or two times that they hear one of these predictions come up, they get really excited because they haven't been through it. The, the 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 next disappointment, <laughs> um, and it's kind of interesting because you'll see this big excitement, and then the, ah oh no nothing happened. And now with the and, internet, um, this stuff gets you know can zip around the world in seconds rather than you know oh yeah um, you know than just than just the members of the cult or whatever than you know how it would have taken place before. I remember yeah I remember in the early '90s it was just um, abductees you know that had each other's phone numbers and. Everybody, hey, did you hear this? And it'd be like a phone tree thing, and everybody would be calling each other up on the phone and telling, you know, the abductees they knew. That, and these are usually people met each other through, you know, Bud or um, uh, David Jacobs um, or even John Mack, that people would, people would know each other through them, and then, you know, we'd exchange information. And but, So there was still stuff. That was, I mean, it wasn't nearly as big because you didn't have all the people that weren't on the, who weren't a part of the group that were doing this. But, yeah, now with the Internet, it's, it's pretty crazy um, for sure. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, what did Diana look like? Um, okay. Um, Diana is, she's fairly short. She looks mostly human. Um, I'd say she's about, I have to think here about, oh gosh, really short. 4'10", 4'11". Um, no more than five feet tall. And slender. Um, I think, I mean, she has black hair, but I think it's a wig um, because I keep, I've seen several, it almost seems like a, I don't know if it's a particular group, and that's how they, part of like a uniform almost that they do, I don't know, but there's this group of hybrids that they're definitely part gray, part, I mean, they're mostly human, but part gray, and they, they definitely look weird. They couldn't pass on the street for human, but they're close enough that you, know, you, you can actually, I mean, they have a lot of very human-like features, 
and um, you know, human like uh, they'll have the skin tone, and they can maybe even do ex- facial expressions a little bit. Many of them can speak with their voices; they can talk and all this. And they'll have these black wigs, almost look like something something between an Egyptian wig and like a, a, a bob. Like they'll have the bangs that go across and very straight, and then the the hair will be about shoulder length or just above shoulder length, and it'll be kind of blunt cut there, maybe curled under slightly, but they all have the same hair, even the men. I mean, the men and women will all have these weird little black bob hairdos, and if you see them in a group, it looks really very strange. It's funky. Um, and they're not very good wigs. They they look pretty bad, actually, and I've, um, a couple of times under hypnosis, I've, when I'm just going through the experience of remembering what they look like again, I just, oh, gosh, you people need, you know, somebody to do this better for you because it looks terrible. Um, but yeah, she wears the wig. She, I don't know for sure what she would look like without it on. I'm used to seeing her with it on. Um, but I always know her. Um, even if I, in fact, it got to the point in my twenties, it got to the point where every time I came to or realized, cause this happened to me over and over again, I would realize something was wrong with something that, whether I was in a situation with the aliens or, but even sometimes they do scenarios where you could be in a kitchen cooking, maybe you're. Uh, you know, some weird, like, daylight, daily life thing. You look around and you realize, wait, this is not my kitchen. <laughs> you are not my husband. Who are these people? Um, every time something like that would happen, um, whether it was an obvious UFO thing or, an, like, another reality thing where you're like, what's going on here? I would stop and I would actually look around. I'd go, Diana. I would actually look around. And almost always she was somewhere in the room or she was standing off to the side observing. And, yeah, um, it happened pretty frequently. And again, it's a whole series of things I haven't even really started writing about yet. But um, seeing with Diana, as it started off, it seemed like when I was a child, she and I were, she was very much almost like an older sister type of a person, and apparently we got along. Um, but later on in my 20s, I, I have so many memories of her and I not getting along. Um, I would annoy the heck out of her over and over again. And yeah, to the point of, of her actually getting overtly hostile towards me and um, my getting that way back. I mean, just, yeah, it's its own, <laughs> its own weird little relationship thing as it went along because um, apparently I'm just, I'm not a very good little abductee. <laughs> Have you heard of a, 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 a fellow named David Huggins who's done paintings? Um, I may have come across him, but I don't recall off the top of my head now. Okay, he just published a book recently. He's been on Coast to Coast, and the book is called... Uh, uh, love in an alien purgatory and that was that was a name given by the um publisher and he's not too happy with that but he's a painter and has been painting his experiences and it's very bizarre there's a lot of sex going on in his set of experiences and um you're describing basically the women that he's encountering and they are these uh uh you know they have this kind of bad wig and he he paints it as a you know it looks you know even in the painting you're like ugh that looks like a like a bad misfit misfitting wig yeah, and it almost, because so many of them look alike, I suspect it's almost like a part of a uniform, um, because usually they wear, um, like, close-fitting um, black, like an overall, like a black, um, almost like a black uh, cat suit underneath. It's just a just featureless, tight-fitting black, um, you know, neck-high, covering the torso, arms, and legs, and then with the wig, it's, it seems like it's a part of the whole look, you know, um, which is... You know, it's almost like they're they're trying to be beatniks in a really bad dance show. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's uh, very strange looking. Yeah. And then, and but, and how did you come up with the name Diana? 
Okay. Um, I don't think she had, I honestly don't even think she had a, a verbal name. Um, my guess is I don't remember this specifically, but I, I come across this situation so many times where I do remember it that I'm kind of jump, I'm jumping to a conclusion here. Um, around 1978, 77, um, when I was ha started having these conversations with this hybrid um, or transgenic person, however you want to put that, um, I was a huge fan of Wonder Woman. And, um, of course, the woman's name was Diana Prince, and I just thought Diana was the coolest name ever. <laughs> and because I love the whole the, the goddess motif and, um, you know, the thing that they did with the Wonder Woman, even as a kid show that I love watching. And so because maybe because of the dark wig, I'm assuming she was wearing it even then, um, or a version of it. Um, and, of course, uh, the woman who, Linda Carter, sure. who, played, who played Wonder Woman, had the black hair and everything. It's something about maybe the, the personality being a very strong personality plus the black hair, in my mind, equaled Diana. And I'm pretty sure I named her. I don't, because she always, and I've heard other hybrids call her Diana. Um, of course, the ironic part of that is later on in the 80s, uh, there was a show about aliens, uh, V, and then their head alien, her name was Diana as well, and she also had black hair and kind of a badass personality. Um, but that... The naming for her actually came from Wonder Woman, not uh, Diana and V. <laughs> huh. Oh, I didn't realize. I forgot all about the Diana and V. And and um, yeah, this yeah. is the the uh, Diana is the is the I think the Roman god of the hunt. Yes. As yes. well as the, as well as the goddess of the moon. Yeah, and she's uh, kind of like a virgin goddess too, I believe. As far as you know, she's independent and she does her her thing. She's young and strong. And, and she's always yeah. pictured with a little deer, a little fawn. Yeah, she's. With a, yeah, she's often pictured with deer and also sometimes with the, the bow and arrow and that type of thing. Um, but none of those things when I was a child really were, I just felt of her, I just, because it was how she looked and it was the fact she seemed very powerful. She had a very powerful personality, which I would still, even today, look back and agree on. She has a very, and a very human-like personality in a lot of ways. She's, um, she can get, I mean, like a lot of hybrids, see some hybrids seem like more like the greys. Um, they'll be very, almost... I hesitate to use the word, but almost autistic. They don't. They don't. They can't read faces. They don't understand emotions. Mm -hmm. They they tend to just the facts, ma'am. Um, and others can be extremely emotional and very human-like. And I would put her right in with those guys. And and I would the same with um, with the the male hybrid that I've had repeated contact with uh, that I call Christopher Robin. Which again, I actually do remember naming him when I was a kid. And also around that time, I was around seven, eight years old when uh, I met him. And but he was around my age, and Diana is actually a few years older. But um, I think she was a, I think she was a teenager. I'm not so certain, but I think she was a teenager when I was around eight years old. So she, yeah, she's like maybe not quite ten years older. Yeah, because the the, the <laughs> goddess of the moon, and then and then uh, the fellow David Huggins who did those paintings. He's named the entity that he interacts with, and and is you know there's a very emotional bond between him and this woman, and the woman's name is Crescent, which I thought was very interesting. And I'll also add that I'm doodling furiously, and I wrote Diana here, and I just as I talk I doodle, and I did draw a bow and arrow, and I did I forgot all about that. So, <laughs> and, and, um, right in the same lines of thinking, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is I've never ceased to be amazed at these odd little teeny incidents. Hey, this is a story you did write about, and this was the one, I think this was the very first story that I stumbled on your site, okay. and I, this would have been about over a year ago now, and it was, uh -huh. a, it was a story that you referred to as the hippie. The hippie would come to visit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wish I had, I was so young when this took place, I wish I had a clear memory. Um, not a lot of people remember very well when they're three, four years old, and I probably do better than most. 
Um, oh, you were that young? But, oh, yeah. It was. I was tiny. <laughs> um, it, yeah. It, from what I remember, he was around very rarely, but occasionally, um, 1973, 74, so I would have been around three, four years old. Being born in zero year is great when you're trying to calculate your age. Yeah, yeah, you have an advantage over me. <laughs> and um, there was this lackluster uh, young man. Um, and, of course, this is during the age when people really were hippies, um, you know, fairly commonly seen around. Um, and he had long, like past the shoulder, but not much longer than that, um, like dirty dishwater blonde hair, um, light blue eyes. He was very pale. Um he was very, he almost seemed like he was tired all the time or listless. Um, he didn't, he wasn't a very animated person, <clears throat> but he would, he would show up and it was weird because when he showed up, my parents would welcome him into the house and they would be all happy to see him and they would talk to him and they never addressed him by name. And my sister and I, because of the way he dressed and the way he looked, because of the hair, they called him the hippie. And my parents, they didn't seem to, it's very strange. It doesn't make sense. I, I, try, I, I try to put these memories together with something that would, you know, somehow if I, you know, something that would make sense that I could somehow understand more about what was going on, but he would just show up. Um, he, I do know that he would talk to my father about, and I, I don't even remember if he used his voice. I can't even tell you that. I, my memory is, I just know that I would, I knew they were going back and forth, but he would talk to my dad and they would talk about science. My father was very much a techno head back in the day. He was always trying to invent things and try things out, and he was forever, like, sketching and, and just going crazy with things. And this guy and my father would talk about, um, they talked about energy um, systems, like, you know, solar energy, that type of thing. Um, they talked about, they talked about space. They talked about, uh, you know, the cosmic stuff, and they would talk about, I mean, they talked about all kinds of science, but mainly it seemed to be about either celestial things having to do with um, astronomy, or they were talking about um, technology, like science and technology, like things you could do with science. And my father would get very excited because he loved talking to this kid. And um, my mother was, she was always just sort of happy and fussy, and she would, she would like to make, you know, she liked to cook and make food and, and just sort of, she was always sort of bouncing and just very happy to see him. And it was kind of weird because my mother is actually kind of a calm person. I mean, she's a, a warm person, you know, she's a comfortable person to be around, but she's not often excited or animated, and she would always get extremely thrilled when he was around. So obviously, we, you know, my sister and I would take notice because we're like, this, you know, this guy is here, and what's this all about? Um, and he would show up for usually a few days, um, and I'm try, I wish I could be more specific, like, is it two, is it a week? I, I can't remember enough because it's so long ago. But... He would hang out for a few days, and then he would leave again. And he didn't bring clothes or anything. My mom would keep clothes for him um, or go out and get some if he didn't have any. And then he would leave, and he wouldn't take anything with him uh, that I can recall. I mean, maybe he did sometimes, and I, I just don't remember. And it was weird. He would come without announcement. He would leave without announcement. But it was just, it was, and it was only for this short period of time in my life. And I just, I may have seen him maybe a couple of times later after we, we moved from, because this is around Seattle, was, we lived around Seattle and, at that time, and we moved to the Oregon coast in 19, like, late 1974, and I may have seen him a couple of times then as well, because I seem to recall taking walks with him along the beach and talking about things, seeing I would take walks, and that was one of the big things I used to like to do with my mother, too, we'd walk and talk about things, Ever I did this all through my childhood with my mom, 
and he did something similar, but I don't remember what we really talked about. I, I just know that we seemed to talk about big things that were important things, but again, my, it's very confusing and it's, I don't know, I wish, it's, it's a frustrating memory for me, those bits of memories that I had, it's frustrating for me because I don't know what to do with that. I don't know. <laughs> The only thing, um, one, of the story, one of the parts of the story that sticks out in my mind was there was one time when we were outside and my mom was talking to some neighbors and this guy came out or he was around, I don't remember how it started, but, um, and, my, and this, they asked who this guy, my mother introduced him as her son and, and, and I was shocked because I'd never heard this before and I, was, and I didn't understand what and the neighbor lady looked at me and she said, how does it feel to have your older brother visiting you? And I said I I didn't I didn't know what to say. I'm like I don't I don't know. And she says, well, what's his, what's his name? And my mother didn't couldn't come up with a name. She didn't say have a name for him. And I just said we just call him the hippie. <laughs> He's a little kid. And she started laughing. And my my mom laughed. And you know everybody that was around us laughed. But he didn't laugh. Of course he never laughed. Um, but after that I don't remember did did we say did none other come up with the name I don't that's what well, it seems like that memory just ends at that point I don't remember what happened after that which is again another frustrating thing it's like wait because what it, what that guy could be and who that guy because it seems so suspicious the fact that my you know my mother like she'd find his clothes afterwards or she'd stuff them in a closet and she would be like what's this doing here Mike you bought it for the hippie and she's like what are you talking about she would forget that he was there I mean that just sounds to me like it sounds like alien stuff all over the place when people's memories get messed with like that it just seems extremely suspicious. And of course, when I told the story in my blog, it's because this guy, even though he could pass for human, I mean, obviously he could walk around outside in public and people were like, ah, you know, they weren't, you know, screaming and pointing at him or anything. Um, I'm, I'm as virtually certain that this guy is a hybrid of some sort as I could possibly be. Um, just based on all the weirdness that happened around him um, and the fact that what happened, I mean, just the main thing and the memory thing, it just it doesn't make any sense and disturbing. It's very disturbing to think that a person could come and visit you and then leave and you would forget. And that was, I've always had kind of a fear of, of amnesia because I would watch my parent, this, this happened when I was very, very young, of course, but we'd have the, he would be there for a few days and leave and my parents would forget afterwards and it didn't make sense to me and I, it made me worried. I don't know. It just, it scares you when you see your parents not be able to be competent the way parents are supposed to be when you're that young. It's very, it's quite frightening, very disturbing. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, that you have a lot of detail for something that ha would have happened if you were that young. I'm very yeah. impressed that you remember as much as you do. I, I don't know, remember, if, I don't know if I have, you know, if any memories at all being that age, maybe just some fleeting little, you know, images of something or my grandparents' house yeah, or something. I remember, I remember a few things even happened when I was two. Um, but yeah, I, it is kind of surprising, but yeah, I actually remember, I remember the different places we lived and um, even the names of some of the people that I knew and yeah, it's, which actually for me is a good thing because that, I think they're, I think the aliens and the hybrids for that matter, I, they're not as careful about covering up memories for very young children because they just figure you're probably going to forget it anyway or dismiss it when you're older anyway. And I've always had these weird memories that happened of things when I was very, very young that apparently weren't blocked or weren't blocked very well and did but because of that i've and I, i've kept memories i've had access to things maybe that's again another little thing that kind of helped along putting the pieces together which i feel fortunate in um but yeah at the time 
at the time, uh, it was it was a very it was very strange. And, um, and is your sister so. older than you? Yes, she's two years older than I am, um, but she is um, she's mentally disabled. She's for somebody who's forty two. She has a mentality. Somebody's about fourteen, fifteen. She's like a young teenager, I guess. So highly functional and everything, but slower than a normal person. And she's also mildly autistic, so she can't she can't read faces. She can't read um, tone expressions, even though she's very animated herself. And she has so she doesn't understand people very well. She doesn't understand subtleties in communication or emotion or anything very well. And does she remember the hippie? Yeah, she does. She still remembers him. Um, yeah, she remembers a few. In fact, I, she doesn't, we don't talk about this type of thing very often. But every once in a while, she'll bring up something just out of the blue. Like, remember when blah, 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 blah. And I, it kind of surprises me because I, I don't want, because my sister has had nightmares and scary things happen to her as well. But she'll tell me these weird little incidents that happen to her, not nearly as bad or as often as mine. But yeah, they've been in contact with her her whole life, too, and not just me. And, um, and she, she does remember them, and um, some of them are some parts of them, and she'll tell me about them later. And um, and I get upset for her because she can't. Uh, I don't get emotional, but <clears throat> oh yeah, I get upset for her. Yeah, because she uh, because she can't defend herself. You know, she's like always a kid. So yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm sorry if I brought anything up that was was emotional, but um, that was I was um, I was just concerned with that if she had any memories of of the same person. Oh yeah, she does. Um, so this character, the hippie, this person seems to blend over, and you talk about this a little bit in the in the, in your blog postings, with someone you call Ethan. Yeah, I I had some a period of time where to begin with I wondered if they were maybe the same person, but it was just a brief kind of checking my own memory kind of a thing because. Um, I'm absolutely 100% certain they're not the same person. Um, Ethan's nothing like the hippie guy. Hey, I'm interjecting here, and I just wanted to say that, that we touch on this character, Ethan, but we don't really share much of the story. The story is collected in two blog postings, one of them which is called Are You Ready for Armageddon? And the second one is called A Letter to Ethan. Uh, both these kind of need to dovetail together. The story that emerges is something very emotional, and I recommend reading both of these blog entries. Uh, they are at the Spirals End blog, as well as her own blog. It's a little easier to find in the Spirals End blog, and I will put links to those in the show notes. Uh, I apologize we don't get into the story of Ethan. Uh, it's long and very interesting. Okay, back to the interview. Um, I'm absolutely 100% certain they're not the same person. <laughs> Um, Ethan's nothing like the hippie guy, um, other than, you know, he's, he's tall, but he's buff. I mean, he's, he's, he's built, he's got, you know, wide shoulders, wide chest, you know, almost like a bodybuilder, not quite that. I mean, he's a leaner version of a bodybuilder, I'd say, um, uh, dark blonde hair, but not dirty blonde, more yellow blonde. And, um, to his shoulders, also his hair is curly, it's, or wavy. And uh, the, hippie's got, the hippie guy, he had straight, fine hair. Um, more like, you know, like my sister. My sister has the, the straight, fine, um, dishwater blonde hair. It's kind of like that. Um, Ethan, and Ethan's also, he, he talks with his voice very animatedly. He seems very human. Um, 
other than the fact he's kind of extra tall, um, he can walk down the street, and well, people people think, oh, that maybe he's a model, you know. I mean, that's what he looks like. He would striking looking. In fact, I um, I found a couple of actors that had kind of a similar bone structure and kind of maybe a similar look a little bit. And one of them, which you and I talked about earlier, is which was kind of ironic, is an actor who's played aliens in several different roles, uh, including the Phoenix and and on um, on, on act- one of the Star Trek series. Yeah, it, on V. He was actually, he played one of the aliens on V, too, in the 80s. Um, and that's Judson Scott. Mm-hmm. Um, also, but of course, and if I, a lot of people who are older would know who Judson Scott is, but for somebody who's, for people that are younger, um, except for the hair color and all that, he actually is more closely resembles uh, Killian Murphy, who's um, an Irish actor. Um, but as far as, got the cheekbones and the mouth, um, I mean, basically, you take away the freckles and you give them blonde hair, and that's really kind of close. It's it's remarkably close. Um, so, of course, whenever you have little bits and pieces of memory that matches anything you can find in the rest of your life, you get you can get a little bit obsessive. So, yeah, I've looked up, I've paid attention to Justin Scott, I've paid attention to Killing Murphy, their careers, and everything. Even though they likely have nothing, and there's you know no real connection. It's just the familiarity is. The looks is enough to just kind of, I don't know. <laughs> no, when you named him a nice, a nice, was that the name he gave himself, or is that a name you gave him? Uh, no, the the ones that seemed very human, um, what people call the Nordics or the Blondes or the Angelics or whatever you know people want to call them. Um, they, I honestly don't know if Ethan's his real name. <laughs> I have no idea. They seem to have their own name. They're very familiar with vocalization, communication. You know, they're telepathic as well. It seems like a whole different ball game when you're dealing with them. They just—it seems like you're just dealing with people. They're—they're they're smart people, and—and they're—and um, they're also seem to be very compassionate people. I've never had like unlike the hybrids, I've had some real hostilities, and I've had some confrontations, and I've had you know literally fights. Um, hair pulling was involved at one point um, with hybrids. The the blonde people, whatever and or whoever, whatever they are. Um, Nothing like that. They're very civilized. They're very nice. They have a sense of humor. They're um, they're compassionate. They're easy to be around. You can be comfortable with them right away, not just because they zap you with their eyes or something. Um, I can sit down and have a conversation about books with one of them, and it wouldn't be a big deal. Um, and this is interesting because so you're, you're telling me things that I've heard before from other people who've, who have a set of experiences with these um, sort of angelic, tall, muscular beings that are very beautiful. Yeah, and I, and they can, and this, and this is something that's hard to convey sometimes, and because so much of what happens with greys and hybrids um, can be either confrontational or exploitative, where you know you're being used and whether you know it or not, and manipulated or what have you. Um, because of that, there's always a suspicion whenever you come across a being, especially if they like one of the things that they can do for me they have done is they can look you in the eye and give you a mental hug. It's not like the greys, because the greys can look in the eye and like, you're in love, boom, you know, or you like me, blunt, boom, or you think this, and they'll make, and at least for a few seconds, a few minutes, you will, you know, they can make you feel or do something their way. Um, it's not the same thing at all. It's like they just, it is like they can literally put love into your body through their eyes, and it's not their approximation of love or the best they can think of it, like it would be with, say, a grey or a hybrid. Who are very clumsy, in my opinion, when it comes to emotions and telepathy. But it's this overall very um, reassuring and very gentle and very non-intrusive, um, just sort of a, a reaching out and hugging, which I can, you know, even like a spiritual hugging. It's hard to describe, but 
I can understand why some people have had experiences with them kind of go overboard and, you know, and maybe they're not going overboard, I don't know, but um, we'll see them as angelic or godlike or, you know, these beings, you know, they're, they, they are, they're working with the good guys. And I'm hesitant to label good, bad, or otherwise until I have more information. They still don't deal with me openly. I'm very much like to be able to communicate with them, you know, like daytime, face-to-face, which is something I've been really trying to encourage and nothing has happened as of yet. But, um... But it's, it, is a, it does seem to be a different ball game. However, when I've been around them, sometimes with greys around as well, they, if it's, if it's one of the little escort greys or one of the little gopher guys or one of the little guys, they'll boss them around. But it seems like when it comes to overall hierarchy, their higher-ups and, say, the grey higher-ups, the grey higher-ups seem to have more power, I think. Just what little tiny bits and pieces I've come across before it seems like, and especially since some of the things that have happened to me that have happened to other people, I would think, okay, if these blonde, extremely compassionate, good aliens are really good people, they're actually spiritually very loving people, and they seem to be when you're around them. You have no doubt when you're around them, like, wow, you're really cool. Um, and that's and, something I've know, also heard. Yeah, this is so interesting that you're, because that, this is, it seems that the, the people, there's, this, is, this is just coming from me t- looking mm-hmm. into the research, it seems like not many people... Um, you know, write about or share stories about these compared to the number of people in, in pop culture, uh, you know, books on the bookshelf and, and uh, you know, what Bud Hopkins shares and, um, you know, these, the stories of these beautiful, angelic, uh, tall Nordic types uh, don't seem to have as, be playing as big a role in, in our pop culture or in, in I think- I think partly that's because of religious overtones. I think people that are abductees who are religious, and you stay that way, some people get more religious, like if you're Catholic or, or you're into any belief system that would accept angels, um, I think you would rather believe that that's what they are. And, you know, maybe they are. Who knows? Um, you know, maybe if you look at back in history, you can make some connections there. But um, for people that are like that, I think they would rather put those experiences into that context a lot of times rather than an abduction context. Um, I think some people, and I know this is true for, I have met abductees who have had these experiences, who have had experiences with blondes, and they don't want to talk about them because they're protective of them. They don't want anybody to mess around with blonde people, and the blonde people seem to be more vulnerable, I guess, in some ways than, than the greys do, um, or any of the other aliens, like through the mantids or what have you. Um, that that has come as that is a part of it, and part and partly I think they're just I don't think there's nearly as many of them here as our grays and hybrids. I think just population wise, it's a smaller percentage. Um, and a, but you know a lot of this is speculation. This is just what I'm kind of guessing from what I know and what I've put together myself. Um, but there seems to be a lot of different reasons for that. Um, myself, um, I, I I wasn't really raised religious, um, and even though I'm a very spiritual being, I would. It'd be hard for me not to be, considering all the many things that have happened to me in my life, and not just even in context with aliens, but um, I'm, I'm definitely very, I consider myself a very spiritual person. But I'm not necessarily mainstream religion, because so many things that, after you've seen certain things, you've had certain experiences, you can't look at mainstream religion the same way, at least if you're, if you're you know, in my opinion, <laughs> it's kind of hard. I mean, for some people it makes their faith stronger, um, but for me I didn't have a faith to begin with, and I kind of came at this from a... Uh, experiential um, and semi-scientific and and just ex- and spiritual view without 
without a book or a religious authority telling me in what context to place these experiences, I, I've been judging for myself as best I can all along. And um, so I don't necessarily, you know, I, one of the big speculations is that people have had is like, these guys are so good, and they know it's, and, you know, they're obviously have had contact with them in my life. Um, I've had some bad experiences, some really horrible experiences that happen with, whether it's the greys or hybrids or, um, you know, a quasi-military covert op thing going on, which luckily not very often for me, but even that, how come they don't intervene to help? How come they don't stop that from happening? How come, you know, and I'm, is it because they don't care? I mean, that doesn't seem likely. Or is it because they, their hands are tied, which who wants to hear that? The good guys don't have that much power. Uh-oh, you know, nobody wants to hear that. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, that goes into that. <laughs> and I'm still, I'm probably out of everything going on with the, the entire alien scenario, the stuff with them is the stuff that I'm the most crazy interested in that I'd like to know more about um, because I feel like I can actually talk to these guys. Um, the other ones, it's kind of hard. I agree. Um, yeah, they sound it, much less alien with, like, you know, alien yeah. meaning completely other, and that's one of the things that I yeah. get so... Um, so much of the literature and so many of these stories are so bizarre and and yeah. the, the stuff that that takes place with these nordics seems to be much more on a on i don't want to say a level playing field but they they seem to be much more like us yeah and much less alien in in the you know the literal sense of the word yeah uh this is so interesting we're hitting most of the things i had very few things written on my list here um okay. Now here's a question: the role of your blogging. What? What? Yeah. A, how did that come about? And and um, and when did it start? And what's your sense of sharing this stuff? Okay, um, good question. And um, uh, coming at it from a lot of different views. Um, to begin with, um, way back when, I started writing diaries kind of compulsively since the age of eight. Um, not necessarily every day, but almost every week, even back then. Um, because it all started, and I remember this quite distinctly, around the time I was um, eight years old when I really started writing uh, my in a journal style, I was afraid of amnesia. <laughs> and it sounds like a weird fear to have, especially when you're eight, but partly it was that um, I realized that I'd forgotten, I was forgetting things that happened to me just in normal childhood because I was so young, and I wanted to, certain things would happen, and I wanted to remember them. I also wanted to remember how I thought about things when I was really little because I thought, well, when I'm older, I might not respect how I am now. That's some kind of weird, and I didn't really put it in that kind of sophisticated language, but I just wanted to remember how I looked at things, not just what happened to me, like how I, how I reacted to things as they happened to me and because I was afraid that I would forget. But beyond just the childhood memory thing, I, was, I had this fear, and this sounds, might sound very strange, but... No, no, nothing will sound weird... strange at this point. So, <laughs> I um, yeah, after everything else I've talked about already, um, I have this fear that someday I would wake up and be a totally different person, and I wouldn't remember who I was before. I might know about who I was before, but I wouldn't remember in a personal way who I was before. I was afraid I would wake up one day with total amnesia. And when I was eight years old, I started writing in a diary because I thought, well, if anything like that happens then I can go back and read my diaries, and I will remember who I am now. It's almost like I got a fear of almost like a, like a, uh, I don't know, a multiple personality or a, oh, 
what they call it, DID, the, the dissociated identity disorder, they call it nowadays. I, it's almost like I was afraid of it happening to me in the future, which is kind of a weird thing for a kid to be afraid of. But that's how the diary writing thing started, just for myself. I didn't, I didn't share it with anybody, not for years and years and years. Um, it wasn't until about 2002 uh, that, I, that the whole uh, live journal thing came about, and I realized that, well, I was also getting, because I've been writing, and I have a very tiny handwriting, and I've been writing, 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 like, uh, like sometimes pages a day, almost every single day, um, but at least several times a week since the age of eight. And my right wrist was giving out on me, and I have um, fibromyalgia and some other issues, myofascial pain disorder and this kind of thing, and it was getting harder and harder to, to write that way. And so I started typing things in the 90s, and I have some, but mainly um, it wasn't until I started doing a live journal thing that I started keeping a journal online. And initially it was mainly for myself and then a few friends, and it was, and it was just, to begin with, it was just... Um, as because this is my habit with my diary writing my whole life, um, my normal life stuff and my paranormal life stuff is all kind of mixed together, and that's because that's just how I I just would put the, all of it out there. And um, by the time I got around to that, I mean I was you know 32 years old or so, I was pretty much out of the closet as far as abductions are concerned with uh, friends and family. Everybody pretty much already knew. Only thing I'm cautious about now is with employers and that type of thing, but. Um, as far as people in my life, I didn't, I didn't mind if they read anything like that. And generally speaking, I'm such a prolific writer that um, a lot of times, even people have tried to keep up with my writing, even if they wanted to, it, they can, you can get lost in it. Um, and I agree. However, I've, I've been in that role. So. <laughs> however, um, something happened um, uh, 2006, um, starting February of 2006, maybe actually the fall of 2005, a couple things, but that year, um, there was a series of events, because things got really quiet for almost 10 years, from like 96 to 2006, um, maybe no more than one or two events per year, if that, um, it was very quiet, I mean, we're talking, for my teenagers and, for my teenage years into my 20s, sometimes it was something that happened, like at least something once or twice a month, um, sometimes once or twice a week, I mean, it was constant incidents in my life um, and this is true for a lot of people I knew at the time of abductees as well uh, including my husband and um, but we had almost like a decade of like almost a dry spell not very much going on and something happened that kind of let us know there was going to be a dry spell which is its own story right there but um, in 2006 there's a series of events and it was crazy again for like an entire year we were having again at least a couple things happen a month maybe more um, there was health issues that came up there was um, some weird military stuff that came up. There was um, definite abduction stuff that happened. Um, and, and that's the that's the year, of course, that Ethan, um, or the guy who called himself Ethan, um, I know him, like I said, I'm not absolutely certain of his name, but for now I'm just going with Ethan, because um, that's the name that was he was going by while he visited us that particular night. Um, that happened later on in the year. But something something strange happened during that year, and... I almost completely stopped writing for several months, which anybody who knows my habit pattern, I don't, I don't not write. That's, um, it's almost compulsive. I almost feel like I have to. And, um, and it was because of the things that were happening paranormally. I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it, and I was depressed, and there was a lot of other strange things going on. It was just kind of shocking. And then somewhere towards the end of that year, when, um, when and it was basically, and that was towards the end of the year that I saw Ethan. It was actually around Halloween. 
um, well, it was it was around that period that I, I got the idea in my head that it was okay to start talking about it openly. And I, I can't remember, I might even have to go through and check my, <laughs> check my journal at some point, but to see if I wrote about that specific thing, but I got this weird feeling. And also I remember somebody at some point said something and I can't remember exactly how that came about, but that something was shifting after 2006. I mean, and I said, I've said in my live journal, something along the lines of, um, um, that we've had these communications that abductees tend to get these certain communications over and over and over again. And since about 2005, 2006, one of those communications seems to be it's starting or the very beginning of it is, you know, it's, it's, it's starting to ramp up now. And, and it's different than before when they said, it will start soon. It will start soon. It will start soon. Um, now they're saying, okay, it's starting. And you're like, really? Really? Because I'm looking around and I, I'm not sure, but it seems like some shift happened at that point. Uh, okay, keep going, but I'm going to interject some, some of my own stuff in a little bit. Keep going. Okay, okay. And, um, and at that point, um, I had, even though I was pretty much open about a lot of the stuff that happened, I didn't go into a great, a great amount of detail with the extreme abduction stuff. I would still have a separate separate handwritten diaries or, you know, typed up or in my computer or whatever. I had my separate stuff with my memories of that. And some of some things I didn't even really want to write about. There was a real reluctance to share it. So like a part of me wanted to, but I didn't feel like it was safe yet. And I don't know where I got that notion or why I had that notion, but I just kind of kept things to myself. Something at the end of 2006 shifted as far as that's concerned. And but even so, even though I started to write about many more of my paranormal experiences, including mm, barely kind of sort of touching abduction stuff a little bit, I admit I was an abductee, but I didn't go into detail about memories. Um, it, it, something shifted at that point. And then um, a little on down the line, um, I, and it was a little bit later, it was about, it was probably 2008 or 2009, but I, and I know part of it is from t talking to you and a couple of other people, but um, you were definitely a big part of the impetus as you started writing on your blog and I'm like, okay, I'm going to share some of these crazy stories myself. And I started writing more about um, the details of this stuff. And I think it was 2009 I started doing that. And, um, and most recently, um, I got uh, the spirals end thing. So where I, cause I, because I write about so much, it can, be, it can be a bit to wade through. So I've been taking um, just the paranormal, but especially the abduction stuff, and putting it into the uh, spirals end live journal. Because I'm familiar with that format, the blog, the blogger format stuff I've looked into, I'm like, eh, it's a little bit too much for me. But, um, but I did the live journal thing, and so I'm, I'm starting on that so that people that specifically are looking for that kind of information or want to share on that have a place to go. And um, so I started doing that. But I feel as if, just overall, um, I feel as if, one, um, it's too late for it to matter in a bad way. I don't know how to explain exactly, exactly <laughs> how to phrase that. Oh, okay, like, I'm, I'm laughing for, for my own personal <laughs> reasons, but uh, keep going. Um, it's, it seems like it's safe to, say, to talk about it now for some reason. I don't know why. but um, And a part of me, just on a personal level, I feel like, you know what, um, as long as it's not going to affect you know, my career or what else I'm doing in that area, I'm, I kind of don't care anymore. I don't really care that much if people believe me anymore. I'm kind of impatient with people that are, you know, prove it, prove it. I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to worry about that. I'm just, I'm worried about, I'm really more about talking to and communicating with people that either A, are genuinely interested and open-minded, or B, and probably even more so, um, other experiencers, other abductees, other people that have had these things happen to them, uh, letting them know um, what's going on with me. Because sometimes as you share these things, 
either other people's memories will help you to remember something that can be a kind of a trigger or just the whole, oh, okay, it's not just me then. You know, there's that whole relief and that release of knowing that um, you're sharing you're sharing that part of yourself with somebody who can do the same, and it's um, it's easier to deal with, I guess. Um, just making it a part of your your life. It's it, it is a part of your life, and you and it's. I'm kind of tired of shoving it off to the side and pretending it's a separate part of my life. I'm kind of integrating it more into my everyday life now, and that's just kind of a part of the process. So, and uh, so, what happened with you? <laughs> Uh, oh, this, you just you just you Sharing, kept on yeah. and saying the term 2006, and it was in 2006 when I when I started working on the uh, documentary project, and I had been um, uh, weirdly obsessed. It just kind of like came out of the blue. I've been reading a lot about the UFO abduction phenomenon for for um, a decade or so, mm-hmm. uh, a little over a decade by 2006, and I I had been renting documentaries. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me think for a second. So I'd been writing documentaries from Netflix, which had just come out, and uh, uh, I, I realized, like, I worked in the film industry ages ago when I worked in the New York City doing mostly TV commercials, But uh, and, I, and I just saw these documentaries that were so bad, and I thought to myself, <laughs> like, oh, I could do this. So I, I uh, ate lunch with this fellow in town. I didn't know him very well, just to, to sit with him at the... Uh, you know the lunch restaurant in in town, and and uh, mm-hmm. he had worked as a producer in the on some feature films, and I kind of bugged him and said, "We need to do a documentary on alien production phenomena." And he was like, "What?" And I'm like, "Come on, let's do it. This is fascinating. It's really interesting. It's got to be." And that would have been in 2006. At at one point, I uh, I sent him a proposal, and he sent it back and said, "Okay." And I was shocked. Oh. And 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 at that point. Um, like really early on in the process we were working on getting a cameraman and and he had all these he would sort of brainstorm in this kind of hollywood way and he would just kind of go you know we need a story we need a journey and uh, we need like a narrative thread to drag the to bring the audience along and um and as we were having this conversation i said I, you know listen i don't know if this is important but um you know i saw ufo when i was 12 years old in 1974 and he kind of looked yeah. at me and said you did it's like, yeah, yeah, I don't know if that's important or not. And then I said, uh, oh, and, and I think in 1974, it would have been the same year, pretty much, where um, I had two hours of missing time with another person. And he said, <laughs> yeah. he saw a UFO. And he's like, really? And then I said, yeah, and I, I think it was, it would have been the February of 1993, I saw five gray aliens in my yard. And then yeah. he just looked at me, <laughs> he looks at you like... <laughs> and he looked at me, and I, he just was sort of licking his lips, and is like, "We have our documentary." Um, and then we we went around and and met with folks, and and uh, uh, you know, we sat with Bud Hopkins, and and did it, he tried to hypnotize me, and worked with uh, Leo Sprinkle, and I met with Dave Jacobs, and uh, it was it met with a few abductees that Leo Sprinkle hooked us up with. You know, the, the, actually, if you sit down and watch the footage, it's pretty good. You know, there's the potential for a documentary in there. And um, somewhere along the line, we just, like, all of us dropped it. It just kind of, I don't know if there was a reason. And all of us, when we talk, there's a, three people involved, me and two other people, uh, involved in this mm-hmm. very low-budget project. And, um, uh, you know, we all kind of say, hey, maybe we'll pick it up again. And, and that was a weird chapter of my life, let me tell you. Because I actually, yeah. I, I am not kidding. I went into this project like not really thinking about my own set of experiences 
and yeah. and the act of uh, there was you know so there's some footage of me like kind of freaking out a little bit in this like oh shit what did I get myself into and uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that was that was 2006 that was a very profound year and that started me on this this whole thing and now now the blog has taken over as far as this thing and I will say and I think I've spoken to you about this before that the blog and the writing and the coming forward. I, I, I feel compelled. It feels like it's not yeah. happening by, by accident. Um, and, and I know that's just a feeling. That's just a sensation in my gut. I have no way to prove that. But it's certainly something I sense. Uh, and then I will also say that, that um, there have been a f- series of people, you and a few other people, uh, who mm-hmm. have said, you know, they started talking about their experiences online because of my postings so that that i take that 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 feels like a a very important responsibility that i that i have uh you know taken upon myself or that i have you know that i i tossed a pebble in the pool and ripples started happening and um uh you know i take that very seriously so yeah i think um i i think for me um having just knowing that i there's even just one other person who's going to be uh, taking me seriously on a regular basis <laughs> is a big part of it. Um, I've always felt from you this uh, warmth and a respect that's um, just been continuous, and it's it's easy for me to talk to you or to write to you, and so I think that's, I'm like, you know what, if for nobody else, you know, then, you know, I'll, I'll write for Mike. I'll, I'm going to write this, and if Mike likes it, cool. And then, of course, when I started writing more and more of these experiences, um, on my first live journal, um, the, my original personal one that has a bunch of stuff in it, it went from being around, you know, anywhere from 30 to 50 people a day, which is still pretty freaking remarkable. Then it was 40 to 70, and now it's like 70 to 90 people, unique visitors a day, who apparently are checking in. And I, I'm suspecting a lot of them are checking in just to see if there's any new interesting weird stuff, because a lot of what I'm posting now is, I mean, if anything happens, you know, currently, of course, I'd post that. But a lot of it right now is just writing about the past, um, especially just so much of my, especially the teen years and 20s. It's going to take a lot to catch that up, but um, I've just been writing about these memories and these things that have happened in my past and kind of keeping up with the news and, and speculating a little bit here and there, you know, discussing a little bit, but mainly just um, mainly talking about memories and things that have happened to me personally. And <clears throat> the more I've done it, the more I get, I get used to it and I get comfortable with it, and the more it feels like, yeah, yeah, it's okay. And... I don't know, because everybody, one of the things I've written about recently is this idea of, you know, disclosure coming. And, of course, every, we, you know, people have been predicting a disclosure for years and years and years. And, again, the Internet just makes that a bigger deal. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I have no idea about any kind of imminent disclosure event or even not so imminent, whether it's two, three years out or 20 to 30 years out. I have really no idea. But I feel, and, again, this is, you know, take this for what it's worth, a feeling, but... I feel intuitively that, um, and maybe subconsciously I've been told something, um, maybe I'm just, you know, maybe I'm just, it's just wishful thinking, I honestly couldn't tell you, but um, I feel as though events that are going to start changing or happening, like a series of events, that at some point the series of events when it gets started, well, disclosure will be part of it because you won't be able to avoid it when the series of events gets going, um, that it's close enough now where it's safe to talk and it's probably the more people do talk and get comfortable with it and uh, integrate it into their lives, um, that type of thing, that probably the better it is. 
and that's my feeling. Um, but it's just a feeling. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to you know, lay money on it or anything. But um, it's just kind of a feeling I've had for a while. And <clears throat> although there's, you know, like I said, wish fulfillment. I there's a part of me that's when you're you're waiting and waiting and waiting for something to start, and you don't know what that something is. Um, it's it can be it can be kind of it can be kind of crazy and. Uh, but I do think I do think something will happen just because I, and I've said this before when it comes to like speculating versus um, versus kind of thinking yeah it's pointing this way it's um, I've seen some things um, even even you know back in my early twenties and let alone the things that happened since two thousand six but even back when um, one of my jobs because you talk about jobs and duties um, I already know what one of them was I don't know if I have it anymore but. One of them was way back when um, I had this. Well, I had a little obsession <laughs> in my starting, gosh, my early teens and going up to my, I guess, what mid twenties or something. Um, a little mini slide obsession. You wouldn't think in a million years that anything to do with aliens. You're like never, ever, ever. But I had this um, passion, I guess you'd call it, a little mini obsession with um, uh, architecture, houses, and. Um, um, like interior decorating, you know, how you set things up, how you put things together, which is funny, really, because I'm, I'm, I'm such a bookworm. And, and um, then in my early 20s, um, a series of events happened, um, with, including my husband sometimes, and sometimes even people we knew that weren't, as far as we knew, we didn't even think they were, they were abductees, but a couple of times we saw people we knew included, and I won't say names or anything, but we might have, for an example, let me give you um, an example. Something happened, I'm thinking 1994, um, And this is right before, because there seemed to be this culmination of events before things got quiet for a decade. So it's kind of a strange time. But we would, my husband and I would wake up, and we would both remember, just on our own, just individually, that we'd been somewhere the night before. And I would remember a piece of it, and he would remember a piece of it. It might be two different pieces. Um, but sometimes we might have been together, we might have been apart, but we both knew that we'd had this abduction that was a very, um, not what you call your, cl your clinical abduction, you know, we're abducting you, putting in a table, doing some sperm over things, and taking you home. It, way more than that, and much more strange. Um, we had um, a lot of things, and I hesitate to use this, but because it has to do with the whole future scenario and events coming down that I kind of think it matters. Um, one of the events that happened, something like this, where we, he and I remember something, and then we'd get a phone call um, by a friend or some or another abductee we knew, maybe a friend, and they would say, um, something happened last night, and I remember this and this and this, and it didn't make any sense to me. And you realized, oh, great, they were there too. Um, and that was kind of strange. Actually, there was a couple of, like, mass um, abductions, I don't know how else to put it, where um, several abductees we knew, and um, whether they were local or across the country didn't seem to matter, and even some people that weren't abductees. <clears throat> there was two events in particular, and one happened earlier, I guess it was like 1994 or so, and what happened was, this is what I remember, um, they were almost like the greys and the hybrids, they were almost like throwing a party, kind of. I mean, their version of that, which is a little bit weird. But they were kind of celebrating the completion of a project, and it was... They have this. I, they have these motherships that are just massive, and they were making housing for people on the ships. And 
and it was supposed to be like a temporary housing thing. I'm assuming that the idea was that there was going to they're making living space for, and they weren't not hybrids, humans from here on these ships. And what these grades were telling us was that you know they they were they were extremely proud of themselves because they built these structures. And they completed it, and they were like, it just patted themselves on the back. Greys don't often get, you know, um, excited, anticipatory. But, yeah, these greys, I mean, the higher-ups, the middle ones, I mean, everybody, they were all just kind of in this, in this weird, you know, almost this prevailing tele- telepathic group mood of, you know, look what we did kind of a thing. And get up there, and my husband was with me. I saw a couple other people, and, um, and I realized it was a part of a project that I'd been helping with at some point, and I had bits of memory come back to me from that memory. So like I'm remembered within a memory, which happens sometimes. Well, one of the things I've been doing is helping to show them how, how to make houses that people would be comfortable living in. And so we went to this place, and but they had it laid out all wrong. And I can almost laugh about it because it's like gray thinking. It's kind of funny. If you can imagine almost like a grid network, at like a massive apartment house, but laid out like a grid so that, and without private, it wasn't laid out like in groups, like here's a group place for this family or like, you know, you, we would think of an apartment. Instead, it was like um, doorways, all, and there's doorways and everything like a grid pattern, like I said. If you imagine like kitchen, 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 going all like, you know, for almost a mile, like literally to so that would be um, a series of rooms, like they're all bedroom, 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 and, <laughs> and then bathroom, 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 living room, living room, living room. And then if you're going through it, there's no hallways. It's literally kitchen, bathroom, you know, living room, whatever, bedroom or whatever. But they would, and it was just, and it would be repeated, you know, kitchen, living room. So it would be repeated in one direction and then all the same thing in another direction, all get X, Y. I mean, it, it was all, and I remember here, this contrast of walking through this thing, and you're like, you guys are kidding, right? Because, and I wasn't the only one, I think, the grades were kind of surprises. I don't think any of us had seen it until it was done. And they brought us up to this thing. And I, as well as, and I saw other groups, like we were being given tours. And I saw other groups of abductees with grades and doing the same thing my group was doing, walking around, looking at this thing. And we all had the same look on our faces of disbelief and just, you've got to be kidding me. This is horrible. <laughs> People can't, I mean, you felt you were trapped. You were literally, you could go, I mean, there's no fam, separate family area. So here's the question. Let me, let me interrupt here. Um, you know, seeing this apartment complex, this, this series of dwellings, was this literal or was this in some sort of three-dimensional realm? Or Oh, yeah. No, this is physical. This is not a mental, like, construct. This is not a dream. This wasn't a, I'm out of my body in astral. No, I was, we were actually, most people are usually actually dressed. A few people are in pajamas, but most of us are dressed in clothes. We were wide awake. We were walking around, conscious. We were recognizing each other, saying hi, waving to one another in a physical place. This is a physical, an actual housing construction that had been done by apparently Grays. And where was this housing construction? It was on one of, one of the motherships, these like huge massive megaships okay. that like, literally have an actual physical ship, an actual physical apartment complex on a physical ship with physical people awake walking around. <clears throat> and the thing is, a lot of these people, like I said, were allowed to remember a pe- at least a piece of that and everybody was calling each other the next day. And going, oh my gosh, we took this tour of all these apartments on a ship. What the heck was that about? And there were there were aliens, and there and a lot of the people that were doing the tours were either abductees or were hybrids that were maybe not as scary looking. But there were greys. I remember distinctly seeing greys, and they were just why people weren't freaking out. They must have had us, and at least in a calm mindset. But I, I felt normal. I didn't feel like I was being. I didn't feel as though my consciousness was altered at all. Just 
I was just, but then I'm kind of more used to it. Maybe it was different for people that were not abductees and not used to this type of thing. It was a very physical, real kind of a thing that happened here. <sighs> On this, we had this weird tour memory. Like I said, a lot of people were allowed to remember at least a part of it. And they said, we were t like looking at these apartments or something, and they were really ugly, and they were this grid pattern of like apartments, sort of, without hallways, where there's no way to go outside. And I remember. Hello? Ooh, I just lost you. Hello? Hi there. Hey. I'm not sure the, the secret government didn't dig the fact that you were complaining about their choice of, uh, about the colors in the, uh, Mothership apartment <laughs> complex kitchens. Yeah. Oh, um, I don't know what point I cut off for you, but um, right at the, I was telling uh, right at the point where the alien was, um, I turned to him and I said, you can't have people living in this structure like this. They'll be killing each other. Um, right where I said, kill each I said, they're going to kill each other. I got this weird, the phone went weird, and I actually heard my own voice, like, echoed into my ear super loud, the words, kill each other. Wow. <laughs> Because it just went totally... I mean, I it, heard my own voice almost instantaneously come right back to me. Oh, my gosh. Through the earpiece. Huh. It, it, um, because at this end, it just dropped out at some point when you were, um, just talking about, you know, how ugly it was in the interior there. This is so funny. Yeah. And, and that's as common with Skype. Skype is an imperfect system, and, and it does occasionally, f the calls will just drop out like that. Yeah. So I think yeah, it so happened at my mind. end through the through the technology, but that's so interesting that you got the uh, most dramatic sentence of the whole <laughs> thing, you know, retold back into your yeah. ear. Yeah, it's, yeah, especially the, that particular wordage. You're like going, dang, yeah. And, and so when, synchronicities. when you were saying that, that uh, people were contacting you and, you know, the calls were going around with other people that were having these experiences, how many people was that? Was that two people? Was that 20 people? Um, I have to think here. Um, just okay. guess. I mean, I, it's not that... I'm, I'm, just... I'm trying to, like, roughly, okay, other people that were also abductees, um, at least three, but I was hearing of more from them. Like, they, like, their abductees, they knew that we didn't, who they were talking to, who said they were also up in this apartment structure thing. So it could have been more than a dozen. Um, it seemed like there was hundreds of people there that particular night. Um, it seemed there was a lot. People that I personally knew that were abductees that I saw that that spoke to us or we spoke to was at least three off the top of my head. Um, and at least um, two other people, I think three other people, but at least two that I can for sure in my mind, um, who were not abductees, but they were friends who knew we were abductees and they were taken. And these people, like, out of the blue called up and said, um, I think something happened to me last night. They called us and said, I remember we went on this tour and we saw these things, including like one, um, an aquarium and like a water structure. And then they, they were shown these apartments, kind of weird things. And, um, but the big part was these ugly ass apartments. And, um, <clears throat> and I was, uh, in the memory, the last thing that I pretty much remembered after taking the tour was just saying, this is, I, I don't know that I was in charge, but it seemed like I was one of the people that worked on the project maybe at some point. Um, and again, the good, it kind of goes with that weird little mini obsession I had that I think was maybe this was one of my jobs back then. And I was saying, no, you can't expect people to live like this without going crazy. I said, you're going to have problems right away because they're so communal. To them, that was great. They thought that was the most, they thought, wow, look how efficient it is. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. And the grays, they really didn't get it. And 
they actually built this whole thing. It was huge. I mean, it just went on and on and on. And they were very proud of themselves for getting it completed and how they decorated it and everything. So this is a great place to live, you know, for supposedly when these events take place later, you know. And I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> Absolutely not. And everybody was in agreement about that. Everybody that took the tour were like, this is horrible. You would go into one room that was decorated almost like Victorian, and the next one would be like, you know, groupy, the groovy hippie 70s thing. And then the next one would be, you know, sparse, all white and black stuff. And it's almost like, it was almost like somehow they researched or looked at or, or took a lot of these different home decorating concepts of the last couple of centuries and just sort of willy-nilly did random rooms of different styles. And it was, it was nutty. And, sometimes, and a lot of times the colors clashed, like, Usually when I'm on gray ships, you don't see a lot of color. In fact, you almost never see color. It's gray, black, white. You don't see a lot of color. I don't know. Maybe are they colorblind? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't see a lot of color. Um, but when you're on the ship thing on this, on these apartments, there was a lot of colors. A lot of them were clashing, and you could tell. It's almost like they didn't understand. You know, you don't put bright orange next to, you know, bright blue and bright green with dull purple and olive you know, ochre yellow and expect that to look good. I mean, it's, it's like it just, it was weird. <clears throat> and um, so that was how that, that was one massive thing went down. And it was over a year later, uh, 1995 at least, where there was another very similar group abduction or massive abduction of similar thing, but this time it didn't seem to be everybody at once. It seemed to be smaller groups, but over the course of a month. And the next time that I went up there, <clears throat> they had it, laid out is it was it wasn't as jam-packed well, last time I remembered I actually remember this consciously I was shown these little like almost like mini mansions they were little houses and and but they had them more like neighborhoods where there was almost like an outside as well as like taking a little house and building it and putting it um, you know into into these like almost like neighborhood clusters where you would go into this little and how it have the uh, higher ceilings a little bit higher ceilings and they would have like two three four bedrooms in each little house and they would have kitchen, living room, blah, blah, blah. And the whole house would be decorated more subtle. It wasn't like these glaring colors and all this stuff. It looked like they brought in a professional to help them. <laughs> it looked way better. And they're like, okay, what do you think of this? And I'm like, yeah, this is fine. I said, in fact, you know, this is almost too nice. I'm, you know, you maybe went too far the other way. But you don't have to change it. You don't have to rebuild again. This is, you know, if you have to do this, this is fine. And that was the last, the last time I remember going through something like that. But, you know, again, my husband... I remember going through and seeing these places and several other people again called us up or you know we called them and said anything happened to you last night usually what if subjectees know each other and they suspect they've seen each other usually what happens is you don't give it away too quick you always like you know did something happen last night and then people you know do you remember or not remember and then they'll say part of what they remember and you kind of go back and forth that way to compare it to see how much of it how much of it happened to you also happened to another person without cross-contaminating it so you kind of you're kind of careful to start. Sure. <laughs> That's a ge generally how it would work out. So, and, uh, yeah, and so then there's this other thing. But the implications of it, of course, if you look at this idea that they've built massive areas of housing for people, for humans, on ships is, wait, humans are going to live on ships? When's this? How's this? What's this? And it, but they actually went to the actual trouble of building these structures, and a lot of them, um, and... One thing I've said, you know, even when I don't know what to think of what Grays um, or any alien for that matter says um, or claims or what you think they might be saying, um, what they do is something else altogether. And I've 
never noticed them to be the type that would waste an effort. They, they seem to be, I mean, you can't say upset because they don't get emotionally upset or whatever, but the same way we do most of the graves. But when the first apartment complex that they seemed so proud of, when it was, became obvious to all these humans that were looking at it that this was absolutely unacceptable, it's almost like deflating a balloon. They just, they're just like, oh, you know, just darn it. And, it, it, they... <laughs> and this is interesting because everything I've ever heard about the sort of interactions with the greys, they're, they're sort of void of those kind of, of like human emotions. And I don't know if it's because, you know, because it was more like a group mind connected and the excitement of having finished a project. Like, look, we're ready for, this, for the next thing. When it happens, we are ready for it. Look at this. And, um, and then giving us this whole tour, every once in a while, it's the only time I've ever really seen enthusiasm with graves. Every once in a while, if they do something they're really proud of, they'll kind of show it off a little bit, like, hey, look at this. And it's almost like it, as a mind when they're showing you, you get more, you get more of the, the emotional flavor behind it, and it seems like it's a dude excitement, anticipation or something, and it's, it's not quite as flattened now as you're kind of used to, you know, especially in small groups or one at a time. Um, or like I said, I've I've dealt with some of the the really you know higher up ones, some of the higher up females and even males, and they seem to have a more of an emotional range than the lower the lower ones do. <clears throat> Not a lot, but I mean I've seen them get angry, I've seen them you know get concerned, and that could, there's more emotion there. But yeah, this is kind of interesting because uh, you definitely felt that oh okay back to the drawing board kind of thing, and. Um, but when you look at the implications of it, it's like, okay, what would require a lot of housing for people to live in on a ship? And that could be worrisome. There's a lot of people, you know, because I know a lot of, there's a lot of speculation about earth changes and climatic events and geological events, and maybe there's going to be this really dangerous period. Is that what that's about, or is it something different than that? Is it more about we're giving you a place to live to come visit us? I mean, maybe it's more friendly. I, I, I don't know, um, but the implication... At the time, when I saw it, it was more like, oh, yeah, that's for, you know, later on when things get really bad here. That was what went through my head. Like, it was a given, you know. And, yeah, uh, this is something This is something that, because, I mean, you hear all these stories about traumatic events that are that are just looming out in the horizon of our timeline, and they are, they're approaching rapidly. And, and, I, and I never quite know what to think, you know. And then to hear a story about, like, oh, and now the apartment buildings are all ready for, you know, whoever the, the chosen few are is, is, is a freaking scary unsettling thought yeah yeah it it really is but i like i said i i don't want to believe it there's part of me that you know just absolutely no come on really um and there's the other part of me that's like but why would they go to all the i mean i physically visited these places and saw them and they were they're there <laughs> they're really actually set up so something's up there wasn't it wasn't underground um, it was definitely way, way, way above ground <laughs> and um, very strange. I've been on the motherships enough in the open areas that aren't inside the structures, but um, just like, how to describe, like an open interior area that's really extremely large and wide. So it feel, it's so open, it feels like you're outside because it's so massively large. Mm -hmm. So the concept of, of creating these buildings um, within one of these areas, because they had so much space in, in these areas, was that you know that they could, that that was the only area that they could actually build something like this and have it work. And but it is, and they and um, so they were yeah they were setting it up like it's going to be an actual you know community and people are going to live there and 
and they're trying to get it all set up and yeah 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 wow <laughs> besides the blondes that would be the second thing I'm most curious about uh, what's you know what is this and um, again if you if you're a religious person or you have um, or conspiracy theory person wow you could really take something like that and go crazy with it um, oh I'm just thinking of the and, of the, the Hollywood scriptwriter <laughs> you know the Twilight Zone episode oh, yeah. you know yeah. Yeah, it's um yeah, you could but I I saw it for myself, so and I wasn't the only one. That was another it seemed to be almost a because they're so careful about memories generally, the fact that so many people were remembering these two visits to these structures and everybody was waking up with these memories intact, at least at least a good portion of them. Um and then contacting each other, they had to have wanted us to remember and contact each other and tell each other about it for a reason. I mean, it had to have been they wanted us to know that they were doing this. And whether it was to reassure people, like, look, see, you have a safe place to go, or as a promise, like, see, you know, things really are going to happen, I don't know. Um, or maybe it was just, it really was just, we just want to get your approval. Would you live here? Could you live here? Um, and, of course, first time, no. Second time, yeah, definitely. Um, but, yeah, real estate, alien real estate in space. Wow. <laughs> kind of crazy. <laughs> hey, oh, we've goodness. been going at it for two hours. Uh huh. And that's zipped right by. And um, yeah, I know. And I have <laughs> a. I mean, there's lots, lots, lots more to talk about. Um, just having what we've talked about individually between you and I, as well as your essays on on your blog. Mm-hmm. And it's you know so we're, you know, I, it seems like easily we could go for another six hours. But I would love to have you back on. Sure. And and uh, just because I think that to properly share your your experiences, um, you know, this seems like we've just touched on a few things. Yeah. So I just and here let me just um, one thing I do want to ask about when I didn't really plan on asking about this, uh, but I'm gonna right. um, is in May of this year, I was with my friend Natasha, and we were in uh-huh. southeastern Colorado, right near the town of. It would have been, there's a very small town called Dolores near Cortez, and okay. we had an event in a tent together on a very lonely, isolated road. We were car camping, so the, so our car was parked, um, you know, just a few yards from where the tent was. But we were very much alone. It was not like we were in an organized campground. Right. And um, I've shared the story with you, and I've written about it. Um, both Natasha and I, and Natasha was visiting from Germany, experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, what I can only describe as the single most profound terror experience I've I've ever had or could ever possibly imagine. Uh, I both of us woke up in the tent, absolutely, and she will verbally say the same things that I'll I'll be saying. We've compared notes, and I, I've never felt anything like that. Uh, that kind mm-hmm. of fear. Um, later on we can you know like I, I then had a dream and i felt like i was floating and i we saw this thing in this shelter um and, and i saw it and made a note of it and and it just felt like it was nothing more than a circle that was in the shelter in the in the tent a glowing mm. circle and she described it the same way and pointed at the same spot uh, i saw it in this absolute dream realm and and uh so we i have very faint memories of the event and so does she but that that there was about 15 or 20 minutes when we were awake and we're experiencing this like soul shattering fear uh mm-hmm. and then later the next day um when i took my shirt off i had a great big long scratch 
uh, that went from about my left shoulder down to my belly button. And uh, when I looked at it closely, it looked like a scratch from a, a thorn, like a rose thorn, or or like a single cat claw. It was just a thin little line. Mm -hmm. It, it was, wasn't, you know, it kind of came and went, and, and it wasn't, but it was, you know, very much one line. And when you looked at it closely, it wasn't a scratch at all. I mean, you had to really get close to look at it. It was this tiny little collection of, of itty-bitty, like, like as small as you could draw with a pencil, blisters. These little red blisters mm -hmm. that I posted that story. I did an illustration of it, and you commented. And and just tell me what yeah. happened because you you had an experience that night also, or or just to share what what you remember. Well, um, you and I had started had started talking, and we'd talked spoken on the phone. I think for the first time, a little bit before that, maybe a month or something like that. Um, I think it was the and, winter before, and this would have been taking place in yeah, May. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So yeah, we went to there for a little bit, um, and I don't know how long it was, but it's. But I was familiar enough that I, I knew you, and I had your phone number and all that kind of thing. And I was, for whatever reason, um, something happened the same night. Um, but for me, it wasn't even nothing specific happened to me that I remember, except that I had a really strong feeling and that was kind of disturbing but not you know not like I was scared but I had this feeling that I needed to talk to you and I actually I actually called your number and got a response or anything even though it was I can't remember it was like 1 30 or if some it was really early in the morning I wrote it down the details and I don't have them in front of me now but I um it was and normally I mean I would never be rude <laughs> and call somebody the wee hours in the morning but I felt like I needed to, like, something's happening with Mike. And I felt like I needed to talk to you, and, which is odd. Um, but I've, when I've been friends with other people that are abductees, experiencers, um, so every once in a while something like that will happen. And sometimes I've learned to kind of trust my intuition. If I have a very strange feeling about something, about the person, that usually if you follow up on it, I would say nine out of ten times there's something to it, which is you know, almost the opposite of real life. And, or real life, listen to me, <laughs> in other situations that might seem similar with other people, I should say. Um, I just, I, I felt, I felt like something was happening to you that night, and I wanted to um, call you up and um, talk to you because I had a feeling that you would be scared, and I wasn't sure, you know, I didn't have any details about why or anything, but the compulsion was so strong to call you that I tried to, I attempted to call you, uh, like I said, got no response. And then I actually, I wrote an uh, email, I believe, and just let you know that, hey, by the way, I tried to call you because I had a weird feeling something happened. And, but I was actually, I was, I was agitated enough, not really bad, but I was agitated enough that I actually had to drink a glass of wine before I could go to bed because I was just, I was wide awake. I don't know. I just, I really wanted to talk to you. It was, um, and I didn't even know what about. I just felt like something was happening to you and, and you were on my mind. And it took me quite a bit to uh, get to sleep that night. So uh, yeah, it was which was kind of odd. And then of course, when um, you know, you spoke about your experience and everything, and it came up, came up later that something did happen that night, and uh, you just you didn't have um, you didn't have your phone on you, or it wasn't I don't remember what was uh, up with the phone. Um, maybe it was a different phone number that I called or something. But yeah, it just it turned out that something was going on, and I seemed to pick up on it, which I don't know how, but apparently it didn't make that much of a difference. <laughs> 
Well, it did, it did make a difference to me because it, it gave a lot of confirmation that something profound took place that night. Yeah. Yeah, I, I felt, and of course, I felt, I felt bad later that I wasn't able to get through because something like that was going on, and, and I'd managed to get a telephone call through. Because um, I've, I've actually been on the line with people when Grace has walked into my room. <laughs> Which is always an interesting experience, but then you get an extra, you know, you have a witness even if they're across the country. So I'm that, you know, something's going on and somebody else hears part of it. Um, usually when you get an event that happens like that where you feel so terrified, I know very well what that feels like. Um, not just because you don't know what's going on, but because you feel alone and often that sense of presence. There's like that, you get this over, um, overwhelming sense of a, of a powerful presence with you, whatever that may be. I'm going to say alien, um, and it just, when it hits you, it's just, you almost, you almost feel like you're going to go out of your mind with fear. And it does get better later, and, it, and I think it also depends on who they are and how they approach you, because it doesn't always have to be that scary. But, yeah, something like that happens, especially when you're wide awake and fully conscious, at least to start, and you get that. I just, like, I wanted to talk to you because I, I wanted to reassure you and um, let you know you weren't alone, or at least, you know, I know when the, you go through these things, and if you feel like you're... Even if you have a person with you, sometimes that's, that actually makes it worse because sometimes you feel guilty because, you know, you feel like you brought somebody else into it. And, um, and I, I will say that, and, yeah, that Natasha has had her own set of life experiences, and she is very um, familiar with that sense of fear. And I will say that was mm-hmm. the first and only time I've ever felt that sense of fear ever in my life. Um, and and uh, I, I've said this on the blog before, and I, and I say it so much that I feel like... Uh, you know, like I'm tired of hearing my own voice in a way, but I'm very uh, skeptical of my own set of experiences, and I'm very cautious to try to give them a name. Like, I, I won't call myself an experiencer or an abductee. I, the best I can say is that, you know, something very definite has happened in my life, and and, uh, and I just don't have the memory to, to say, you know, like... Uh, you know, there's a certain set of memories that we all associate with, with alien abduction, and I just don't have them. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, yeah, and I, I don't blame you for feeling that. And I think actually it's probably healthier to approach it that way um, because it, I think it keeps your mind more open to look at every possibility before you, you know, get yourself completely enmeshed in one. And in fact, even now, today, I still have a hard time. I know these events happen to me. I know aliens are real and physical. And I know, I also know, however, that they can do other things as well that aren't so physical that, and that's getting a whole another area of discussion that, wow, no way to go into that today. But um, I, I know enough to know it's real and it's going on, but I still don't know why or how or <laughs> or the what of it. And um, But in the end, I think that's actually more helpful to keep an open mind that's open but um, has a certain level of skepticism of even being a little bit cynical, um, humored, if you can be good humored about it. But... Uh, just kind of keeping, kind of suspending your belief and your disbelief and kind of holding it out there. You know what? You don't have to believe anything to look into it. You don't have to. It's weird how we're really raised in this country to, to feel like we have to pick a side. We have to choose the belief. We have to, you know, you're supposed to give yourself a category and a box and throw everything into that, and that's it. And then you have to defend that box to the death. And I refuse to get in the box. I refuse to say it's this or that or the other. Um, beyond I know it's real and it's happening, um, the only thing that I can absolutely say, but beyond that, I can't even, uh, and I don't want to. I'm at this, right now, I'm at the point where I don't want to believe anything, and for absolutely certain sure, I've, I've seen it's actually, it's made it easier to listen, 
to other people's respect, maybe coming at this from a different angle, um, even though sometimes I have some rather profound disagreements. Um, and But that happens, especially when you're speculating about the reality of it, um, where it's coming from, where it's going. And with so much uh, amnesia and manipulation and the weird events that happen that aren't quite physical or seem to cross over from physical to non-physical, it can be so confusing and so aggravating, <laughs> so frustrating. It just, um, I think it's easier actually to just approach it like, you know what, I don't know for sure, but I'm going to keep looking into it. And I think that's probably the healthiest way to be for anybody. And I, I've noticed people that have that attitude um, have a, I don't know, they have a healthier, a healthier viewpoint and that I've seen other people, I'm not just bragging about myself here, but just in general, it seems like they make better listeners um, and they make better researchers because they don't discount things too quickly and they don't count them in too quickly either. And I think that's important when you're looking into this because it's so confusing and so crazy already. Human bias doesn't need to add to it <laughs> any more than already, you know, you can't avoid. So. Good. Good. I, I, that was well said. Um, uh, whatever's going on is, if nothing else, confusing. Uh, challenging, so it it seems to be at the edge. It's at the periphery of what you know how uh, you know we want to define reality. It's it's challenging my definition of reality uh, greatly, and um, I'm quite serious when I say we need to do this again. Okay. And uh, and thank you so no, much for for sharing You're all very this stuff. Welcome. Good. Um, thank you for hearing me out. I really appreciate that as well. No, no, no. This is fascinating for me, and I and I feel like um, and I've said this before. I went to a conference, and someone said, "Oh, so what brings you here?" And I kind of went, "Well, uh, uh, you know, I guess I'm doing research." And he said, "Oh, that's interesting. What are you doing research on?" And there was this big long pause, and I kind of said, uh, "Everything." <laughs> I guess I'm doing research. Well, I, what I did say is I'm doing research on myself, and then I've tried to define research, and I'm not a scientist. I am not a a dogmatic, pragmatic, linear-thinking scientist. I am I'm the opposite. I am a uh, creative type. You know, I'm going completely on my gut on a lot of this stuff. So, so my conclusions, which I don't have any, uh, you know, aren't going to be. Um, uh, what's the term? There's got to be some lofty term I can use. They're not going to be empirical. Let me put it that way. They're going to be, yeah, you know, they're going to be theory the, that must be defended. <laughs> yeah, they're, 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 it's sort of a welling up the way you know the way a poet would would you know something would well up um, as opposed to the way you know you know a hypothesis or a conclusion would. So um, yeah, more more holistically and touching on a lot of different aspects at the same time, which I think sometimes the only way to study this, especially scientifically, is you have to pick it apart and take each part and go into that part, but the problem is when you do that, you know, you're counting the needles on the trees in the forest. You forget the forest, and I think that's a huge part of it. So, um, and, and that's it's kind also of my take on it as well. Yeah, and it's also very, very human. I mean, this is a very troubling, complicated human experience where it is so bizarre. You know, maybe if we were all living in a in a the jungles of uh, Brazil, we would be much more at peace with talking about these. You know, the, the these things that would fall into the realm of the shaman. Or something. Yeah. Interestingly enough, a few um, areas, and I've looked into like, um, native cultures that haven't really been completely altered by Western culture yet, and um, they they do, it, with this kind of experience, they do seem to have a place for it. They do seem to talk about it openly in their cultures, and it's not, it's not separated out. Like, we have so many dualities and so many separations in 
categories um, in, these in boxes, our empirical yeah. Western thinking. Yeah, the boxes, and they don't seem to handle things quite the same way. And um, and but they but they also but they tend to deal with it way easier. They don't seem to like you have this culture shock, um, this psychological trauma just dealing with even the reality of it, let alone just events themselves, like what entails in each piece of it. But just the whole, just the fact that it could happen, period, um, and that it's happening to you. Uh, it's so shocking to the human mind to go through that and what I, you know, the awakening process or what have you. It's, and I, I remember even at, at 16 when I had that first, I think it was full circle in the conversation, when I had that first moment of, of seeing this thing in my bedroom and realizing what was going on, it was, it was not just, oh, no, alien, it was like everything that I thought was true was gone. It's, um, I've written about this, so I've said it's like um, a great wind upon thin glass just shattering your, your paradigms. Everything is crashed into bits. When you have a moment where it's absolute, you're absolutely conscious, you are awake, and they are there, and you know they're not supposed to be, and you can't make up an excuse. You can't say it's another reality. You can't say it's a dream. You can't say it's just psychological, especially if you have, like I did later on, witnesses, and, you know, even people calling police. That could be fine. That's another story. When this happens to you, and, and, it's, and you have absolute proof in your own head, that <laughs> in your mind or with other people that you're dealing with, that it's real, it, it changes the way you view all of life, humanity, everything forever. You don't look at... You don't look at the planet, it's not commodities. You look at the planet almost, I can't even explain it. It's, there's so many things it does to change the way you view everything when you realize humans are not the top of everything. We are not alone. We're not the top. We're not the most important thing. Hey, we're, we're, I'm sure we're important, and we're really cool. I love humans. I'm way more than anybody I've ever met. But, you know, knowing that there's a lot more going on than just us, our minds, and our world, it's profoundly... I mean, it's in the end, it could be a good thing, but it's a painful, crazy, and sometimes horrific experience to go through just to accept that as, as true and real beyond, you know, the rest of it, just the reality of it. You know, when you cross that threshold where you have to, you have to believe yourself, <laughs> you know, taking from what you're saying about your, with your situation, like, I don't absolutely know or believe that these things have happened to me and you say that. If ever you come to the point in time where you can no longer say that to yourself, when you Take that, you cross that line, and you, once you do it, you can't really cross back. Um, it's, a, it's a weird moment, and it um, changes everything forever with how you, I don't know, it's hard to describe. And for me, it happened when I was 16, so I lived most of my life on the other side of this weird dividing line of perception about reality that um, it's, sometimes it's, it's made me kind of a weird person in some areas, good, bad, <laughs> take your pick. But um, it's it's definitely changed uh, how I've looked at things, and um, but I'm it, that part of it I'm not sorry for the pain and the trauma and everything else, and it could be done better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to argue that. I think I would prefer to have a wider perception, even though there's a crazy initiation process you have to go through to get there. Uh, in the end, I would prefer to know than not to know. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So take that for what you will. <laughs> Uh, I, though in the past, I will say that I would absolutely have said the opposite of that. I would say, no, no, I don't want it to be happening. I don't want it to be true. I mean, I was, I was very much a uh, complete mess, even suicidal at times in my past, way back when. But yeah, since I've come through to the other side all this time, I'm okay. <laughs> and, um, That's good to know and, because, and I, I, because uh, you know, I, I can. Uh, it has been emotionally 
profoundly challenging. It's coming to terms with this for me. And I, I feel like I'm much better now, but I, I feel like I'm a different person than I was just a yeah. few years ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, and I think it's harder to go through the older you are when you go through it. Yeah, um, I, I, I was 47 when it, when it really hit home for me. Yeah, it, I can't, I, I, would, I could scare some imagine that. Um, I've, I mean, I have met a few abductees who, um, or experiences, whatever you want to call it, people that have had these things happen to them or seemingly happen to them. We'll say that. I want to respect where you're at right now. But um, who have been as late as their 50s. Um, uh, I don't even, I don't recall, I mean, it's 50s or off the bat, but 50s at least. And it was, it was a very, um, it was a very hard and strange thing. And the older you are, the more you think you know how the world works the harder it is to realign yourself when you figure out that no, there's actually a lot more to it than that. And I don't, and I don't envy that process. It's good to be on the other side of it, but I, I don't envy the pot, but I don't think you can get around it. I don't think you can get out of it. You know, Yeah. Uh, you have to take the journey. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and on that note, <laughs> and on that note, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much. This has been great. We'll do it again soon. As I've been listening here, I'm like, oh, this is going to edit together. Great. This is your, you don't say, uh, you don't mumble. Uh, you see, you're very, you speak, you know, I'll also say you speak very quick. So there a lot got crammed into these two, two hours and 15 minutes here. Yeah. So. That's one thing. I, I, I try not to talk really fast. No, no, it's so good. It's good. I get, People can listen fast. I get fast. excited. Oh, it comes out. Yeah. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, thank you so much, well, and say hi to your cats, and and I look forward to um, meeting you someday, and and say hello to your husband, and um. I will do so. And thank yeah, thanks. So interesting. <laughs> so interesting. All right, I will talk to you again soon. Goodbye now. Mm, bye bye. That woman has had an intense lifetime of experiences. I struggle with, you know, absurdity of a lot of what she says. I mean, it's just so far beyond our realm of comprehension that I'm uh, I'm challenged. In a way, all I can do is, I don't know, I guess all I can really do is listen to her story and be as attentive as I can be. Uh, there's so much going on in this realm, so much deception, so much... Uh, you know, human frailties. At one point she says something to the effect of, huh, you know, I must seem sort of weird. And that's always been almost like a litmus test for me, for people who have this experience in a way. If these experiences are true, on some level, they are literally real. On another level, I don't know, who knows? Something mystical, metaphorical, magical, multidimensional is also going on. But uh, I believe these experiences are real. And if someone, if, if a human being, a, a vulnerable human being, deals with this stuff, um, they are going to, they're going to have personality quirks, <laughs> to, put it, to put it bluntly. So if I meet someone, they share these stories, uh, if they don't have personality quirks, if they don't seem a little tense... Uh, I'm very suspect. That said, uh, I was very impressed. She, at the end, we talked about the fact that she talks fast, which I think is great. She crams a lot of information in. Uh, even though a lot of information got crammed into this interview, having talked to her on phone calls before, I will have to say that she is, uh, you know, just this is just barely the tip of the iceberg of her of her experiences. 
um, I encourage every anyone who's listening to this to visit her blog and search out these stories. They're fascinating. They're fascinating. I think she has an important she has she has something very important to share with this community of people who are looking into this subject as well as researchers as well as people who claim the experience themselves who want a way to reflect on their own experiences she's very skilled at editorializing and trying to make sense of her stories whether she's 100 percent accurate i have no idea uh, I, I doubt it but she is very insightful and she is a wonderful storyteller which helps a lot for me the listener or me the reader let me also add that some of her stories are very emotional and whatever's going on here is um, uh, this phenomena is a piece of the human drama that I find fascinating and perfectly bizarre in a way that, um, I don't know, I'm drawn to it. There's something seductive about these stories. And I recognize that in myself. And uh, whether that's a flaw, I don't know. Uh, right now, as I'm finalizing the editing and, and recording this little epilogue, you know, my mind is awash in complexity of all this. And I and I am also very excited and very eager to do a follow-up interview with Lucretia. Uh, there's a lot more to tell. She has a lot more to share. If you've made it this far, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it greatly. Bye-bye. <laughs>